trying to score from the plug today. I sure could use a shot. Zannies are helping, but I need more. Guess I'll smoke some pot. I'm about to go insane. Sometimes I need to go where everybody does cocaine. And we always find a vein. I want to fix and do some blow. The troubles will go away. I want to be where everybody does cocaine. You shoot your dope, I'll smoke some crack. Junkies are all the same. I want to be where everybody does cocaine. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. Oro is located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. Oro was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to treat alcoholism and drug addiction with compassion and connection rather than control. Their team has multiple decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, and they make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible. Anyone who's ever been to a detox knows a comfortable detox is a preferable detox. Everyone that we've ever known that has been to Oro all said the same thing. They were treated great. The facility was great. Their recovery was great. Check them out at ororecovery.com. They have amenities like sound bath meditation, fucking equine therapy, surfing, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get well, you have to go to Oro. Check out ororecovery.com now. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at The Phoenix. The Phoenix is an incredible app designed to help people in recovery to have fun. So first, do you like to have fun? Second, are you in recovery? Third, do you have at least 48 hours of clean and sober time? If you can check those three boxes and you're looking for a good time, you go to www.thephoenix.org slash dopey podcast and you will find fun events. 
And I'm not just talking about hikes and CrossFit. They have hikes, CrossFit, indoor rock climbing, road biking, music, meditation, social events, water sports, powerlifting, ice climbing, biking, arts and crafts, book club, boxing. They do everything. Check them out at thephoenix.org slash dopey. Find a class near you. There's Phoenix places all over the country. Go have some fun with thephoenix.org slash dopey. Okay, I want to tell you guys about another amazing recovery podcast. It is called Recovery in the Middle Ages. It is our friend Nat and his friend Mark and their world of middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including the latest in research, books, movies, their take on 12 steps, and their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in a world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew, if you are a middle-aged man in recovery or you want to know how they think, check them out at Recovery in the Middle Ages which is available wherever you get your podcasts or at middleagesrecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is a sober app. It is a tool for your recovery. It is a community of like-minded addicts and alcoholics looking for support, looking for togetherness, looking for unity. They do like 11 Zooms a week. I host an incredible Sober Buddy Wednesday morning meeting, if I do say so myself. And if you are a member of our Wednesday morning team, I'm sure you agree. Sober Buddy has a social media style platform where you can offer support to other sober people, people in recovery, and the sober curious. If you're looking for a new tool and you're willing to spend the price of like two fancy coffees for access to an incredible community, really great people, check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com or on the App Store or the Google Play Store. And check out the Wednesday morning Zoom. It is a spiritual, transformative bunch. It is amazing. Also, if you're looking for dopey gear at really, really good prices, between now and the end of the year, we are doing our Wicked Fire sale, Wicked Fire holiday sale, Wicked Fire Festivus sale, Wicked Fire Hanukkah sale, whatever you want to call it. Uh, 20 to 50% everything off in the fucking uh, dopey store. Dopeypodcast.com. Click the shop. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and there's more bad news for anybody who's not on social media. Mike Mart, who was a friend of mine, he was the producer of Bob Forrest's Don't Die podcast. He was also a producer type of guy for Amy Dresner and Joe Schrank's Rehab Confidential podcast. He was also the guitar player 
in Thelonious Monster and Tex and the Horseheads. He died this week, and um, he was a friend. He was a great dopey champion. He was 33 years sober. He did not die of an OD. He died of complications around his hep C that he contracted many, many years ago, and he was on a list for a liver transplant, but he didn't get to get the liver, and he died, and he had children, and he was uh, a really generous person, and it was really cool. Me and him were actually friends. Like We would talk on the phone. For a while, we talked on the phone every month. He listened to the show. Sometimes he would he would be like, Dave, your sound sucks, and he would fix. Before we had Amelia, he would like have me send him interviews, and he would fix it. He, he always tried to help me figuring out what kind of gear I should have. He was a really generous person. He contributed to a ton of our Christmas episodes, and he contributed a story to DopeyCon 2. And this is Mike Mart's DopeyCon 2 injecting acid story. Hey, Dopey Nation. <clears throat> Happy DopeyCon 2. This is Mike Mark from Bob Forrest uh, Don't Die Podcast. And uh, Dave, I'm super proud of you, man. This is congratulations on DopeyCon 2. <clears throat> you know, if um, it wasn't for the Dopey Podcast, we wouldn't have started Don't Die, you know, which we have fun with. And uh, <clears throat> it's a good opportunity to try and help people, you know, online and uh, in this new weird age that we're in. Uh, I'll set the story up. This uh, it's, it's you know it's the '80s and uh, we're in punk bands. We idolize and run with people like Darby Crash and um, Joe Strummer and bands like the X and the Ramones and you know we're a bunch of disenfranchised punk rockers. <clears throat> we idolize writers like Hunter Thompson who lives Gonzo lifestyle. You know we just think that's the fucking greatest thing in the world. Um, Reagan is president and uh, he's doing weird shit like naming stuff after himself uh, you know Reaganomics and the trickle down effect like this some kind of golden fucking fountain that we're supposed to be grateful to get the bottom little trickle <clears throat> and the minimum wage is about $3.50 and we're in bands we're just you know we don't give a fuck we don't have jobs we don't have anything we're just we do music so uh, we're afraid we're all going to die in some horrible nuclear war at any moment because of this fucked up actor president. And uh, we're out on tour. I'm in a band called Tex and the Horseheads. And, uh, you know, we're punk country hybrid kind of band. And uh, we're out on our first tour. And uh, we meet a bunch of nuts in Austin, Texas. Um, a band called the Big Boys and a band called the Hickoids, and we stay at their place. This place called uh, Texas West. It's this crash kind of big compound thing, you know. Um, so the scene was such that bands toured and they played and they supported each other and they <clears throat> shows and parties and drugs and somebody had given me some blotter acid to take and in my drunken state I just decided to dissolve it in a spoon and shoot it up. Now, being young and hopeless and, you know, we would literally put anything in a spoon and put it in our arm just to see if it was possible, you know? I've cooked some crazy shit 
down and gotten high. I've gotten, I've shot Everclear with Jeffrey Lee Pierce once, just for laughs. Got drunk. Uh, so this extremely beautiful goth chick and I dissolve this green blotter acid in this spoon and I shoot it up having no idea what it's going to do. And here's the weird part. Nothing happened for like five minutes. And I thought, ah, fuck, it didn't work. And I was kind of bummed. And I thought about shooting a second dose. And then it started to hit me. And within a minute, I was peeking hard. Trails, the chick looked weird and dead. And I thought some guy was trying to kill me with a comb. And, and it ends with the goth chick and me and a bottle of whiskey in a graveyard having sex on top of a sarcophagus. Um... You know, it was a really great time. It was a really great fucking era of music and freedom. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I didn't shoot that second dose because I might have ended up in a psych ward somewhere in Texas staring out the window at the birds. <clears throat> so um, that's my story about shooting acid. And uh, I'm just going to keep it short, but I love you guys and have a great dopey con. And There he is. I don't know why I got cut off, but... I think he said stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. But <clears throat> Mike loved our show. He hated the sound. He uh, he was very, very kind to me. I was in California, and, and, and I had the opportunity to go see him, and I didn't. Uh, I was in L.A., and he was in Long Beach, and I just didn't go, and I didn't. It's just it's so rough. I, I, I would talk to him here and there. And then we would text a bit and he would never call me, but I would check in on him and call him all the time because I love talking to him and I wanted to. And the last thing he texted me, I'm just going to read it because it's very sweet. It just shows the kind of person that he is or was. He said, um, I've been going through a bunch of tests and they're trying to get a liver transplant and hoping that everything would go okay. It's a long process, and to increase my chances, I told them I would go anywhere, and they are trying to send me to the Mayo Clinic in Arizona so things are okay. Just part of my fucked-up life and grateful for that fucked-up life because the last 30 years of it have been magnificent, wonderful, and stupendous, and the first 30 years weren't bad either, had a lot of fun, and had a lot of success. And I wrote, uh, for sure, if you ever need anything or want to talk, please give me a call. And he said, you're a good man, Dave, and a, and a good friend. And then we exchanged loving messages. And, and uh, it just goes to show, call your friend. You know, you never know when the last time you're going to talk to your friend is. So call them. Next week, uh, Bob Forrest is returning to Dopey. And we're going to do a Mike Mart tribute with Bob. And I'm going to play Mike's interview. For Mike's interview, Mike was so fucking funny. His interview, he was like, send me the interview because I'm going to edit it for you. So we did this long interview and I sent it to him and he tweaked the sound and he edited it. And um, so we're going to do a big Mike Mart tribute next week. We love you, Mike. Um, we miss you. So many Dopey fans are Don't Die fans. And, and so many people were just into Mike Mart in general because he was this legendary California junkie punk rocker alcoholic as well he, he would hate to not be described as a punk rocker junkie crackhead alcoholic sick guitar player father dog owner lover of life lover of recovery lover of music 
and uh, look for the Mike Mart tribute. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Mountainside Recovery. It's a total thrill to be in a partnership with Mountainside because we started Dopey at Mountainside. Dopey would not exist without Mountainside. Mountainside was where I met Chris. It was in Connecticut. It was a beautiful place that had all the amenities. I did acupuncture. I did the spiritually transformative sweat lodge. It was potentially spiritually transformative. In my underwear, I did hikes in the woods. I walked the labyrinth, and I sat with Chris on a porch and talked about girls and drugs, and it was great. And Mountainside is an amazing treatment facility beyond birthing dopey. It has a full continuum of care, which is every length of recovery is there. There's a detox. There's an inpatient. There's an outpatient. There's extended care. There's an amazing family program. They even set up a dopey page on their website. So you go to mountainside.com slash dopey. There will be bits and pieces of the show added as we move forward. If you are interested in getting help and you are near Connecticut and Connecticut sounds like the place to go and you want to go to the place that birthed the incredible Dopey podcast, call one 888 or 1-888-833-4922 or check them out again at mountainside.com slash Dopey. Besides the fact that we created the show there, the recovery there is amazing. I got lots of, of notes. And this show is going to be like, this show, this episode, Dopey episode 441, 441, is going to be a, a powder keg of controversy. Our guest is considered to be the most corrupt cop in the history of New York City. If you ever saw the documentary called The 7-5, you can learn about the exploits of Michael Dowd. It, it's, it's a questionable one. But for me... I'm in it for the story. Drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. The boxes are checked with Michael Dowd's story. So I know there's going to be a lot of fucking um, blowback. I know a lot of people are going to have a lot of shit to say in Dopey Nation come whenever. But we'll, we'll roll with it. I got, I got a, a message on Instagram from this woman after she listened to Nzinga. And she wrote me that in her county down south i cannot find the instagram message that a kid overdosed in her school from a weed pen having fentanyl in it so you know dr Nzinga harrison who i love questioned do they put fentanyl in weed and this woman down south said they do in a weed pen so i don't know then axel from dopey nation said I have to say whether or not there may be some fentanyl dusted on cannabis, no one has ever overdosed or had fentanyl in their system just from smoking cannabis because cannabis combusts at way too high of a temperature for the fentanyl to make it into your body. Uh, Axel, if you're listening, what about this weed pen story? What do you think about that? I don't know. These are, these are things that I am not an expert in, and I'd love to hear your guys' opinion. Then I got a message from this woman, Jazzy, and she saw the fake dopey podcast Instagram shit, and they're trying to sell pills on Instagram. And I wrote, I reported them because I'm so pissed. Anybody that's trying to jack our name, it makes me crazy, especially selling drugs. Horrible. So I wrote the guy and I said, 
why did you call? Because it's basically, it's an Instagram page called dopeypodcast.usa. He changed it. And I said, dude, why did you call it Dopey Podcast? And he said, the greatest answer that anyone who jacked our name could ever say, he said, because it's such a great name. And then I said, you got to change it. So he changed it. And I got a note from Jazzy, and she said, I tried to buy drugs off one of these pages once when I relapsed and didn't know where to score Perk 30s. I think I sent them like 200 bucks. I never got the package, but I got some weird calls and texts and started freaking out that I was going to get busted. I felt so stupid. So come on, guys. Do not buy drugs on Instagram. And if you are the person who decided to steal the good name of Dopey Podcast to sell drugs, you should be ashamed of yourself. You probably need some help, which leads us to our next sponsor, BetterHelp. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by the very, very great people at BetterHelp. Whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I've been back in therapy, actually, and I have to say I've made some breakthroughs. I'm making breakthroughs. So can you. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. I remember the, the first time I got to do the BetterHelp ad and I got to say Better H-E-L-P like Mark Marin did and I thought I was really cool. That's just a full disclosure right there. I need some better help to deal with my, my stupidity. I do love putting the show together though, I have to say. It is uh, last week I fucked up and I wound up putting the show out and I had, I know you guys don't understand the, the technical aspect of podcasting. Some of you do, but a lot of you probably are totally lost when I talk about technical jargon. But I had in Zinga's whole interview like muted and I don't know how it even happened. And I put out the show like that and I heard from a bunch of people who didn't get to hear in Zinga, which is terrible. And then I heard from other people who never got to hear it. So let me know if you ever got to hear in Zinga last week or do I need to release it for free on Patreon, which I'm happy to do. Sign up for Patreon. So much good stuff on there. There's bonus shit going up all the time. Aaron is on our show today. Ask Aaron Carr is back. So let's give it up for Aaron. She, we just did a little Patreon just for today on there. I have a big bonus show that's about to go on there. So join Patreon. We do uh, the Sober Buddy Zoom on Wednesday through Patreon. We do the Patreon Zooms. I think they're actually really good. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. If you love the show and you feel like you should be supporting it, support us at Patreon. And there's good stuff. And there will be more good stuff. There's always more good stuff coming. I got a note from this woman, Kaylee, on Twitter who said she's been sharing uh, Dopey with her clients to help them with relapsing. And I think that's awesome. I don't know 
I don't know what in the show really is great for helping with relapsing, except that I'm sober and I like being sober and it's a good time. And I know that relapsing would be a painful moment for me. So I'm happy that uh, anybody gets anything good out of the show besides me. Here, I'm going to read. I'm going to read something else. Hey, Dave, hearing the San Francisco story on the last podcast, it felt like it was finally time to write in about my own drug experience in San Francisco. Back in 2015 or so, my dad took myself and my brother out to San Francisco from Ohio for a week-long business trip he had planned. I was 19 and recently had gotten off heroin for the second time after getting very strung out the year before. So I was obviously very excited about getting my hands on some California weed once I made it out there. Once we made it to the Airbnb, we got settled in with the nice older man, Mike, that was holding us, hosting us. He was holding them. Uh, the nice older man that was holding us. Within a few hours, he had gotten some exceptionally high-quality weed, and things were already moving in a great direction. The next morning, I woke up, and my older brother is exhausted, with completely dead eyes, dead eyes, and I inquire about what happened. He explained that he spent all night smoking speed with Mike. I immediately became incredibly jealous and talked with our host about getting involved in this experience, <laughs> the experience of smoking weed all night with this nice older man. This quickly turns into smoking meth all day, and once the evening progressed into my first experience with GHB, our host explained, or our host offered my brother and I a clear liquid in a water bottle cap without much of an explanation, saying that it would make us feel incredible. We both take a bottle cap of it and are quickly catapulted into this immersive and overwhelming feeling of euphoria and complete relaxation. Soon after giving us this, our host then begins playing hardcore porn on his TV while also bringing out poppers for us to try. My brother and I both huff away on the poppers while our host continues sharing math with us as we get completely obliterated. This is a great email. With every single inhibition gone, oh man, I wish Ray was here, in this completely foreign experience, keep in mind my brother and I are both heterosexual, but the GHB and speed just completely removed any concern with our behavior on our environment. Unsurprisingly, I black out due to the GHB while my brother continued smoking meth with Mike all night. I wake up to, to my brother dragging me down the stairs onto the street as my dad was about to wake up to leave for his conference. We go down the stairs and start walking down the block with me only in my socks. Then we run into a homeless man and woman who I immediately sit down and start talking to. I was still in a complete inhibitionless haze at the time. They pull out some brickweed and roll it up in a joint and we start smoking. I start peppering the woman with questions and find out she is a meth and heroin addict. As we continue the conversation, I somehow convince this woman that I can help her find a vein as all of hers are blown out from years of use. So we then move on to a random stoop in an alley and I attempt to shoot up a random woman I just met with a speedball of heroin and meth. But we are interrupted and kicked off her porch by a homeowner mid-injection. 
I then spend two hours running around San Francisco with this woman while she talks to herself and hides things in random places around the city. Eventually, (laughs) I come down and realize what an absolute disaster this trip has been so far. I ended up staying away from the hard stuff the rest of the trip and somehow made it back to Ohio in one piece. I love you and the show, Dave. Thanks for everything you do. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I, I need closure on that GHB older man uh, porn. What happened with your brother? Did he hook up with the older man? I need to know. Thank you, Chris. That's a great, it's a great email. Really, really bringing the dopey. You get socks. Please send me your address, and I will send you some socks. Anybody out there with a good dopey story, send it in. You can get some socks. A voicemail might even be better. Send in a short voicemail under five minutes. Three minutes and 30 seconds is the new sweet spot. Send in a short, sweet, crazy, funny voicemail, and you can get dopey socks like Chris. I wore the Bad Brains dopey socks the other day. Because everyone's bragging about how good the socks are. And I was like, give me a break. These socks aren't that good. And I put them on and I felt like I was transported to a magical place where everything was right. And every time I looked at my feet, I was reassured because I was wearing my magical dopey socks. If you are all fucked up and you need to get well, a great place to go is Diamond Recovery. I'm so excited that Diamond decided to come on as a sponsor with us. They launched last year with a mission to help as many addicts and alcoholics as possible. They have three residential treatment centers up and running, and they've built out a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hotline for anyone struggling so they can reach out and have a friendly voice on the other end. The number is 844-909-2500. Two five. Check out Diamond Recovery. They have a spot in Florida. They have a spot in Georgia. They're incredible at dealing with co-occurring mental health disorders, and they can help you. So call the hotline if you need to talk to somebody, 844-909-2525, and check out diamondrecovery.com. All right, before we get to the incredibly controversial Michael Dowd, we need to celebrate Marcelo from Argentina. That's not a good. Those aren't good. Hold on. That's the celebration horn. Marcelo in the crickets. Our, our Marcelo, our Argentine, Argentinian friend, is celebrating one year, one month. And when he wrote it, it was 13 days. So I'd imagine now it's more like 17 days. Congratulations, Marcelo. I'm so glad you're doing good. And I'm so glad you're listening to the show. I got, um, and you like it. It's nice. I got this note. Hey, Dave. I like the Max Marshall interview, and that Xanax book seems like a totally legit dopey subject as it's a true story. He was also open about his own use. I found him interesting. Margaret Cho was great today, as always. Though I felt Aaron Kay getting jealous at your love fest ending her interview. I always love Aaron, Ray, and Aurora as co-hosts. That's good, because Aaron's on the show. Uh, Regarding the guest a couple of weeks ago, who was all talking about the mushrooms, what I kept wondering during the interview was, is this person on mushrooms? I guess I am not a hero because I once overdosed on three grams, much less than taking eight. Oi. 
Bill Blaber and his stories were a favorite of mine, especially about climbing up the tower to get his cable bill sorted out after being at an all-night gay club and then somehow not getting arrested. I remember retelling it to a normie friend, but they never seemed to find it as funny as we do. I was very sorry to hear of his passing. I often wondered when he would be back on, and then you just mentioned his name in the last couple of weeks. I live near the beach in Santa Monica, and though most of the homeless here are on meth, occasionally I will come across some younger person totally whacked out like in another universe, but seemingly not permanent. More more of like being on the end of a long run like so many dopey stories we've heard. They look more drugged out than homeless, and for some reason they make me think of Bill Blaber, and it must be because I remember that explanation of temporary psychosis he talked about today. In the end, it sounds like he was able to enjoy some years of sobriety and helping others. Finally, I just wanted to thank you for DopeyCon, which was awesome, and I attended and briefly met you. I was sitting by Seymour and that crew, and it was a great night and obviously a lot of work. Happy to be a member of the Dopey Nation. I don't know who that's from, but that's a great email. Maybe he doesn't want me to say his name, but thank you for that email. Me and Seymour, by the way, are, are, are back together. Seymour is back on the good list, and more importantly, my dad, is uh, he's doing well. His recovery is in full swing. He, he has graduated from the walker to the cane already, and he, uh, he seems good. I got a note about that, too. Oh, yeah. This is from BB. Yo, hope Alan is healing up. Don't touch his stuff and lay off that dextromethorphanhydrobromide. Yeah, good thinking, BB. But he's doing well, and I didn't, I didn't take any of his drugs, which is good. So Michael Dowd is on the show. You might have seen him on the Soft White Underbelly show on YouTube, or maybe you've heard him or seen him on Joe Rogan or Joey Diaz's show. Check out the movie The 7-5, it, the documentary. It's incredible. And when I talked to Michael about coming on Dopey, he was very clear. He was like, oh, it's a recovery. Dopey's a recovery show. And I said, it is and it isn't. And he said, well, I need to make it clear that I'm not in recovery. And he didn't come on drunk or anything, but he had a story to tell, and I wanted to hear his story. And the point and purpose of Dopey is to keep addicts and alcoholics company and to entertain you guys and to hear different stories. It can't be the same thing every week. So we tried this, and personally, I'm glad we did. But Dopey is not... Listen, I'm in recovery. I support people who are in recovery. I support people who are not in recovery. Let your freak flag fly. Dopey is about stories, and Michael Dowd's story is insanity, and it's totally worth telling. And I think I was a little scared. Like, he he lives out in, in eastern Long Island in Suffolk County, and I didn't want him to come to the house. I, I was a little scared after I saw the 7-5 and after I, I had heard his, his story a little more. So I, I got my neighbor to let us use a photo studio. So Howie came and shot video. So there will be a video of this on YouTube. And then I took Howie and the owner of the photo studio and Michael Dowd out to lunch, which was pretty nuts. But before we get, we're about to get to Michael Dowd. But before we get to Michael Dowd, I need to say that this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Discover Recovery. And I love Discover Recovery because the, the creator of Discover Recovery is our friend Chris Paulson. 
He's a good guy. He came on the show. And when I asked him how he wanted me to talk about Discover Recovery, he was like, I'm not such a, a flashy guy. I just think that Discover Recovery is the best rehab in the Pacific Northwest. And we're a treatment that operates with integrity and our staff operates with integrity and we have a pretty high rate of success. And what else do you really want than a high rate of success? Their facility looks beautiful. If you're anywhere near the Pacific Northwest or you've ever wanted to get sober there, check out discoverrecovery.com. It is a, it's a real homey place with really, really kind professional people. It's discoverrecovery.com. If you're anywhere near the Pacific Northwest or ever wanted to go there, check them out at discoverrecovery.com. And now, without further ado, Michael Dowd. Welcome to the show. Thank you. The most, and this is, is this a hard moniker to be considered the most corrupt cop in the history of New York City? Is that possible? You know... I guess I earned it. <laughs> the reality is it's obviously not the truth. It can't be the truth. Right. I didn't, you know. You didn't kill anybody. Right. So would you say the most corrupt cop in New York City killed somebody? Who's the most cor corrupt cop in the history of New York City? Who is it? Not me. Not you. But I could be. For the sake of a, maybe a movie. For the sake of a movie. For headlines. <laughs> and co-occurring book deals in the future. Yeah. <laughs> you are the most corrupt cop leave in the it, history let's leave it there, then. of New York City. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. But yeah, so let's go. Welcome to the show. Yeah. But what it was is, and, and I just allow me to segue for a minute. It was the, I was the poster boy. That's all. You so know what does I mean? that, what does that look like? So what it is, is they, they, uh, they, the city, the public uh, needed somebody to be the, the causation of all the inherent seediness of policing at the time. We talk about the crack era from, from its inception until where it turned the city into a virtual Vietnam. And, and, and Mike came of age working in East New York, Brooklyn, which is one of the most dangerous places in the country, especially in the mid-80s. The rise of, of crack. Right. Um, and you grew up, you, you were born in Brooklyn, but you grew up out Correct. in Suffolk County. Yeah, I was born on Flatlands in like 36th or 38th. I still can't get the street right, but because I can't remember. I'm, I don't need to. My mother knows. <laughs> and when's the first time you think you drank? I know I was drunk at 11. My grandfather owned a bar called Whalen's Pub, Whalen's Bar and Grill on Quentin Road and East 32nd Street, right next to PS222. In Brooklyn. And so it was my step-grandfather. like, I, he might have been third, the third one. In, uh, who knows? He was, uh, my grandmother was out there, all right? And uh, so he he owned the bar, and um, he threw the best parties, right? I mean, the guy owns a bar, you know? And back in them, those days in Brooklyn- Back was, in them days. That, them there. Them, 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 those, them those days. Yeah. Brooklyn was, uh, it was heaven. Brooklyn was heaven back then. Let's be honest. It was amazing in the 70s and 60s when I was growing up. Uh, I mean, there was no safer place than Marine Park in Brooklyn. It was amazing. And um, everybody knew everybody. And they threw these block parties that were historic. They were just wonderful. And you felt like you were part of the entire community. We didn't live there. We lived on Long Island. But every time we'd go... It was just, we were home in Brooklyn. For, it was like a TV show. It, 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 it was amazing. It really, it really, really was. It's sad that it's still not the same today. I don't know. I don't live there today. I mean, obviously, the ethnicity of the city has changed over the years. But 
I remember getting drunk, drinking the beer and feeling really cool, like an adult. It made me feel grown up. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And at what point did you fantasize about being a cop or being a criminal or anything like that in your teen years? I know you loved hockey. Yeah, you know, I never, <laughs> and this is, this is um, unfortunate really in a way. Like kids grow up wanting to be something. I never even had a thought about wanting to be anything until as I got older and I, and I had to get a job, right? So that's just like, what do I want to do? You know, so I started at some menial jobs in the beginning and, and then, uh, then I became a bay clamor. And uh, so I never thought of being a cop. But my father being a fireman, you know, you were naturally drawn to those types of careers. So many of my brothers and anybody out in Long Island or whatever around the world pretty much today knows a bit of my story, which I have seven siblings, including myself, and, and they were all firemen, cops, teachers, things like that. So we all gravitated to that type of lifestyle instead of being entrepreneurs, which really, I think that's part of my spirit is to be an entrepreneur. Right, and you found a way to be an entrepreneur as a cop. There you go. Which is which is swag. Let's segue right into. The- <laughs> well, I mean, when is the first time you did drugs? So, did I you smoke weed as I a kid? A little bit of weed, but not much. I didn't really like it. I did it because other guys were doing it, not because I wanted to. Does that make sense? Like my buddies were doing it, so I did it. I thought it was cool, you know, because they were doing it, but I didn't like it. I didn't like weed because it sort of made me a little sleepy and dopey. I understand. Right. I think that's what I liked about it. Dopey? But, yeah. But I mean- Is that what they call this show? They call this show Dopey. Like We named it Dopey because there was a fucking- I saw some dude on the street. Uh, I was a heroin addict and they called heroin dope. Right. And I was on Clinton Street and I saw some Dominican kid wearing a black baseball hat with gold letters, like made of gold, and it yeah. said dope. Dope. And I imagined my grandfather standing there and he'd be like, who the fuck is this dope? And I thought about the word dope. And then we called it Dopey because of that. Um, now, I've seen you on Joe Rogan. I've seen you on Soft White Underbelly. I've watched the documentary. I mean, it's the same class of uh, interview. Wow. Of course it is. Uh, I, I feel like you're putting me down somehow, but I feel I feel very comfortable. No, um, I'm not putting you down. No, I'm just playing. I, I'm, but being light here. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah. happy you're, you're here. I'm glad. You, I'm glad. Uh, yeah. yeah. And the documentary is- You're better inc- than Joe. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm glad somebody finally acknowledged me. <laughs> The documentary. Sorry, Joe. It's, it's okay. Joe is a big dopey. Joe's fan. a big dopey. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's, yeah, that's cool. No, he's not. He's not. <laughs> if he gave you a shout out, it would be nice, though, right? Joe is a huge Katz's fan. Crazy Katz's. Katz Deli. Yeah, I work at Katz's. Oh, that's right. And he's he's a sick Katz's fan, but I haven't penetrated the, the Joe Rogan universe yet. Maybe one day. But what I was going to well, say. Well, if I do my movie, I'll pump you up a little bit. All right, now we're talking. That's a plan. <laughs> the, his documentary is called The Seven Five, and it is. Unbelievable, because it starts out in that uh, in a real Godfather two kind of way. The commission thing? when you're sitting in front of the commission, right? right. And and it feels, you know, it's beautiful. Like it looks cinematically. It, it's it is. It's, it wasn't as beautiful as it looked. It mu- how and 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 basically, Michael was indicted on a, on a million things. How many yeah. things were you indicted on? Everything. Well, be, be, specifically, you were indicted for all these things. Racketeering. Racketeering. What, what is, is racketeering? racketeering? What is racketeering? Racketeering is having an organization of five or more people that you decide that you're going to commit a, a group of acts in order to, to en- enrich the organization. Well, right. Don't tell. Don't ask me what was the organization because now it, we're getting into government bullshit, and that's another story. What I was going to say, though, when I started to talk and I lost my train of thought was, on Soft White Underbelly, on Joe Rogan, 
in the seven five, you're not really talking about because you you went to rehab a number of times. Right. You were obviously hardcore uh, drug. You dealt with drug organizations, but you were also a drug addict. Right. And, and you don't talk mostly about mostly alcohol. Fine. Mostly, but alcohol is a drug. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I mean, for your audience, because your audience would dip in and out of probably all the different things as well, drugs, alcohol. But you would know where your key downfall would be or, or your, your major vice. So know? I guess what I'm asking. So I didn't like cocaine. I just like the smell. <laughs> That's a classic. That's a classic. I want to get into, first of all, as a person who's in and out of recovery right. and alcoholism, right. when you're telling your story, is it triggering in that way? No. Never. Never. No. Never. What's the most- It's actually relieving. How so? When you when you when I speak about my past of addiction and overcoming it, it brings me back into focus again, and 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 it it, it makes me want to stay in recovery. When I speak about recovery, I get sentimental because it's really important to have that sober time. Don't forget, I started this in 1986, my recovery process. You know, and I fell in and out, and and, and we say fell in and out. You know, I, if, I let me speak to your audience, please. Just because today you're not sober doesn't mean you don't have tomorrow. You may not see it, but if you do, start, start then. Just start. Whenever the day is or the moment hits you, start from that moment. It might not last the day, but if you get from one moment to the next, they start to add up like yourself. But almost nine years now, right? Right, but when we were on the phone planning this thing, right. you said, I need to be up front with right. you. I'm, I'm not. I have, I, I'm not in sobriety, total, total. I'm not using but I, I have had drinks right. over the last about two, three years. You described Off it as, as an experiment of controlled drinking. Yes, correct. Yes, so, I, so, that, so the truth is that I will occasionally have a drink or two, but not go beyond. And so, yes, so it's an experiment. It's, a, it's an experiment. And, and they also, Michael also said before we started that this is a little bit like a meeting, which makes me, this is, makes yes. me feel good. Yeah, that's good. You know. Yeah, and you, you brought it back to me and made me see where I... Even in addiction, we're not 100% honest all the time. Well, I'm in recovery. We ha and to get that complete honesty is really what's relieving because then the monkey's off your back. Exactly. Exactly. So when you- But that's not an easy place to be, you know. Where's that? Not everybody can be 100% honest, even in recovery. Nobody and can be. Nobody can difficult. be. Even, even if, you think, if you think, like that whole thing about who's constitutionally incapable of being honest. When you hear that, are you like, I don't have a fucking chance? No, I go, okay. I lead, no, that's when I say I have a chance. Explain. Because it's, it, it, it's telling us from the beginning that we generally can't be honest 100%. We do our best. Though. We do our best. 100%. Correct. So, but that gives us the opportunity to go from one step or one day to the next, knowing that we are constitutionally incapable of being honest with ourselves. It's funny because obviously if you were or you weren't the most corrupt cop in the history of New York City, and we're going to say you were both for the, for the sake of your career both. moving forward, you're obviously incredibly skilled. Like you show a lot of aptitude for a million different things through the period in Brooklyn, through this, this whole like documentary, cultivating your story, telling your story. You show a lot of fucking aptitude when you became a cop what did you want to do so as a cop or in general in life you know yeah i guess you're a kid so what the fuck does yeah, anybody well, I, i'm 21 do? i'm like still learning the world and that's part of the thing that i actually tried to explain to the police department when you get a young kid and and so 21 back then 
was a man, right? I mean, today, they're, they're still 30. They're not quite men yet. But anyway. So, I'm so, almost 50 and I'm on the yeah, fence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, I'm still not a man. I'm working on it. <laughs> but the point is that at that point in your life, you're taking on responsibilities that your father doesn't have. Like, and my father was a fireman, so he's got some pretty damn big responsibilities and seven kids. But you're a policeman. You're walking into someone's home and you're telling them right and wrong and how they need to live. And you're, and you're checking yourself on the way out saying, I hope I did the, one, I hope I did the right thing. Two, can I live up to what I just said? You know, it's not, it's, it's a difficult walk. And I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grow up. I'm still working on it. I just hope I grow up before it's over. Well, you have a chance. <laughs> you, have, you have a chance, Michael. I, be- I, be- I believe in you. I really do. I think you can do some amazing shit. Like, yeah. like I think you can make the world a better place. Like, I, I believe I, that. Thank you. And I, and I, to your audience, thank you. And that's a very humbling statement. I appreciate it, really. That's, that's wonderful to hear that. Because part of our, my soul is I'm a te- I want to teach. And your currency has been one of scumbaggery up to, uh, up, up, to, up to this point. This but I'm saying I think that good shit can happen. I, I honestly think that. Well, last week I was out in, in California yeah. uh, uh, speaking to cops, uh, you know, about the life of a guy that goes bad and how to avoid it and what to look for in others when they're falling down. So what do you look for? Well, Everybody's unique. So, you know, one person's uh, clearly exhibiting something. So I would tell them, I looked at it like this from my perspective was I was the perfect police officer. Explain. In your face. You knew how to make sure they saw. They saw what they they wanted to see. When I say that, I mean, not the public generally, but the people that were supervising me. I gave them an image. I was never late. Was always on time, usually squared away. I mean, sometimes you're a little haggard because your uniform wasn't perfect for the day, but that's inconsequential. In the ghetto, they just want to show that you're there. You understand? Uh, so, but I would always be on time. Uh, I would very, very rarely call in for a day off. Well, two things. One, I'd be losing money <laughs> if I wasn't in that street, right? So what I did for the police department, and, and you're going to have people out here excoriate me right now. You know that, right? I'm going to get excoriated, you know, eviscerated, whatever. They're going to say all kinds of shit about me, okay? And they do. But what I taught the police department was how to catch me in their midst. And, you know, the direct results of that was, and unbeknownst to me, by the way, is that they took down the whole 30th precinct midnight shift. Explain. So when I went to the so the Marlin Commission, which you say was the opening uh, the opening testimony in oh, front of it yeah, yeah. for the seven five documentary, uh-huh. so they came to me twice. I told them go fuck themselves. Yes, because why? Because they didn't give a fuck. They just wanted what they wanted, which was to hurt people, and in that, in this case, it was cops, and they wanted to get their name out there as uh, this big uh, corruption fighting organization with whatever cop bust corrupt buster whatever right. correct and i looked at it more from a humanistic point of view here i am sitting in prison i'm gonna go i don't know i'm facing life in prison okay when i was facing life when i walked in that door and that's what pisses me off about kenny he enhanced everything he could along the way well he wanted to get out of it well, well he was out of it once he signed the deal he was out of it but he continued to enhance my vulnerability and my exposure by like he put bullets in his pocket by proxy, that means I'm carrying bullets. Things of that. You mean on that last day? On that last day. And Kenny was was Michael's partner yeah. for years. So I get accused of now nine murders on the front page of one of the newspapers. In, uh, I dumped four in Long Island in, in 
Pilgrim State Hospital, right by my house, so I can keep an eye on them, says McAleary in the New York Post or Daily News. He was in all three papers during my reign. He was in all three papers, so, and he wrote about me in every one of them. Anyway, so I might have dumped a few bodies in Pilgrim, and I definitely dumped five, in, two in the East River and two, two in the Bronx. And one somewhere, they can't, they're not sure, maybe upstate uh, where the uh, wise guys met, the commission. I mean, the, the shit that they say, you just want to go. Well, so I'm sitting in prison facing a nine. I'm like, I'm going to trial for shaking down drug dealers. But here I am. I mean, and who, and who, can, who can blame a guy for shaking down drug dealers? Be honest. Well, I want to get to that. So they come to me a third time, and it was right on the heels of this nine murders on the front of the newspaper. How am I going to go to fucking trial? The whole city hates me. You know, this bad person. Like, I run something. Like, I'm just one cop. There's hundreds of me out there. So they come to me and they say, we'll go before you judge if you help us. And my lawyer says, you need a fucking friend in that courtroom right now, Dowd. I said, I'm not working with these feds. I don't like them. He says, well, this isn't them. And they're not here to hurt. They're not here to hurt cops. They're here to help change the police department. That's what I was going to help them do. So that's how this whole thing begins with me going to them and then showing them how to catch a guy like me. And that was what you could give them as opposed to giving them somebody. Correct. You could give them methods. Correct. And, and when's the, who's the first drug dealer you ever shook down? One of the first that I can remember. That's a significant that's one. That's fair. So let's go. Because there's little things that may or may not have been significant enough, and I can't recall them all. Because sometimes it's like just throw stuff, but rather than take it, you'll throw it out. I can't remember anything in my life. So yeah. whatever you give me as the first, yeah. we'll call the so, first. So a significant moment was I remember I was, uh, I got, um, I w it was a pickup job. So driving down on Hegeman Avenue in, in East New York, I was near Van Sicklin, but not, I, I, I might have been 660 Hegeman. It might have been, because 660 Hegeman is, big, is a big spot. Anyway, uh, guy, a, a white guy, doesn't belong there, flags us down. As we're driving by, the guys just robbed me. They ran into that building. You know, now we think we've got an armed robbery on our, on our hands. So we immediately respond, you know, as an aggressive approach. You know, let's go get these guys. They want to stick up in the streets. This poor white gentleman in the ghetto. I don't know what he's doing here. But he got robbed. And we're going to make this right. So we chase into this building. And, and he goes, that, they ran in that room there. They ran in that door. Well, we hit the door. And... It took us a couple moments to get, not long, to get it open. We got it open real quick. We kicked it in. And um, you hear people diving out the window. <laughs> so when we get in there, there's no one there. It's empty. And there's this fucking factory in there. Cocaine. Back then they made 50s in tinfoils. Remember the tinfoils? I don't know if you remember that it one. Was, it was, I, I never got to have a tinfoil. You never got the tinfoil. No, no. you, you're, too, you're too young. So as we're going through the place, in comes... Uh, the cavalry behind me, because you know, you put it over the radio, um, robbery suspect chase him into a building, 60 Hegeman, second floor. We hit the door, we go inside, and uh, it's set up. It's a factory. They're ma making it, they're cutting it, they're putting it in. There's a whole big setup in there. Not crack, powder coke. No, powder coke. The crack wasn't out yet. Pre crack. That's when this was. Yes. It wasn't quite out yet. So in comes this uh, anti crime team, uh, I, I, I would call it citywide. They weren't the local precinct, like I would know them, they were citywide. And they had their boss with them, and they come across the scene with us. And since their sergeant was on the scene, they took over the job. Now, this is my fucking job. I picked this up in the street. The guy jumps out the window. He breaks his fucking leg. He's, he can't go. No, he's, he's safe. <laughs> we got him. Anyway, so I'm getting pissed. Because when, when, when the cops take over another cop's job, it's, 
It's not, it's not the way it goes. It's no. not right. They're taking your shit. They're taking my shit. Yes. And all of a sudden, they're pulling bags of cocaine out of the floorboards. Lots of coke. Lots of coke. And I'm going, motherfuckers. Like, I, I, initially, instantly, I thought, this is mine. Not for the cocaine. For the collar. But for the collar. Anyway. At that point, you'd been taking money off people here not, and there. No, no, no. Okay. Really. So you're not I, even I made, seeing the money. Yeah, I'm not. I, I made a few dollars with that Puerto Rican mystery once. But that was it. And I and I and it just if that came again, it would be a different story. But I was actually actively pursuing good police work. I, you know, a couple bucks here and there wouldn't hurt nobody. But so it wasn't my my goal or my mission. So they 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 take the whole job, and as they and as they're wrapping this whole thing up for them, I reach and there's a box as high as this this desk, filled with fifty dollar fifty dollar tins. I reach in the box, I grab it and right in front of the cops and the, everybody I, I put a handful in each pocket. <laughs> Fuck you. Like I I don't know what I was but I did it. Had you done cocaine no, at that point? Never. Wow. Never. Okay. And I still don't. So now I got this coke on me and I'm fucking angry. Right? And no one has anything to say. No, they didn't say nothing. <laughs> they didn't say a word. So now I go home with the cocaine. <laughs> now what do I do with it? I don't use it. Yeah. No, I give it yet. to someone. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it's still got another, uh, yeah, we're another six months. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I go home with this cocaine. Now I got to get rid of it. I know it's worth something. So I make about two, two grand on it. I give it to somebody. I get, make about two grand on it. What a wonderful gift from the local New York City policeman bringing home some spoils. It's like war. It's like Christmas. It's like war. Yes. You know, you go to right. war, you, you take, conquer you take, the nation, you take the spoils. Take the painting. You take the spoils. Yeah, the gold from the Jews and the yes, from the, still, all the we Jews. We still got yes. it. We still got Take them out of their teeth. <laughs> Take it home. How how pivotal a moment in this whole story was that? Well, there was a big write up in the newspaper, and they I don't know if they mentioned. I think they might have mentioned my name in it, which I'm really all right. At least they mentioned my name, and then I ended up getting a medal for it. I got like a meritorious uh, thing above your name, above my fucking name. Yeah, nice. Every cop likes to have something above their name. Because otherwise you're still a rookie without the, without the, without the medal. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I got a meritorious for that one. I didn't write it up, they did. So I, I got it. So as, mean, as much as they fucked me and took the collar, I did get written up for it. And two grand. And, yeah, the spoils. And, uh, and Let's not talk about that. And an idea, <laughs> right? Yeah, in, in some ways. It sort of planted a seed that would eventually blossom. But I really didn't, I was still a little naive to that whole world. Because even though I saw it, I wasn't in it. So take us down the path how you become in it. My partner at the time, not Kenny, this other guy. I'm not going to say his name. Uh, he uh, he wants to he wants to do a blast at a hockey game after the fire department and the police department hockey game in their so Coliseum, and we're sitting in Bottles parking lot. Remember, I don't know if you're familiar with these places back in back in the day. But Assume I know nothing. Bottles was uh, the place to go across from the Coliseum, and my brother had just. Major hockey player. He he took the whole team to the championship two two three years two out of three years, uh, beat championship. They beat the fire department. That's that's all that matters. <laughs> and um, so we were sitting in the parking lot waiting for them to come over to go into bottles together with them. And uh, my partner goes, "I'm going to do a blast." I go, "I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I don't know what a blast is." He goes, "I want to do some cocaine, and you're doing it with me." Why? What do I have to do? He goes, "I don't trust you. <laughs> if you ain't do it, then you if you do it, you can't get tell on me." Right. That was my partner that I was working with at that time. So I, uh, I said, okay. What am I going to do? I tell him, I'm a big boy. Did a bump with him. Did nothing for me. Zero. Zippo nothing. And uh, I went and, I, and I had a nice time. I had a couple of cocktails, got laid, and went home. <laughs> what was the, like... Not in bottles, but... 
No, you didn't get laid in bottles. In, not in bottles. You did the blast outside of bottles. Oh, yeah. you in, you, you, where'd you get laid? In the park house. Oh, good. Even house. better. Even better. Um, so, sorry. When do you start sorry. becoming ingratiated into the world of drugs as a cop, as an entrepreneur? Well, shortly cop. after that. Shortly after that moment, it becomes a reality of this. Because what, so the story is the crack gets thrown down a sewer. Guy got it. We, we roll up on a guy. Uh, someone called in a drug sales. We roll up on a guy. He's throwing. He goes, dentist. Oh, okay, dentist. All right. I grab him by the fucking throat. <laughs> After I go, I'm convinced he's right. Wait a, wait a minute, something's wrong. Yeah, I grab him by the throat. Now he can't swallow the fucking things. I go, spit the motherfuckers out. And he's spitting these plastic vials out. He had like 20 fucking plastic vials in his mouth. He spit them down the sewer. I said, all right, have a nice day. We left. We get a call back about 15 minutes later. The sewer plate's been removed. Because we didn't know what it was. So they went back to get the vials. So he went back to get his, his, his cachet. Yeah. His cachet. They were selling. So we knew from that moment on that this is worth something. I didn't do anything. We'd roll up on another job shortly there. the same day, I think. And it was a box of like Newports. Because, you know, in the ghetto, they smoke Newports. I mean, let's be honest. Call it what it is. They don't smoke Marlboro. They smoke Newport. And um, Newports are very men men mentally Newport, delicious. Very tasty. Yeah, it's nice. a delicious thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So he takes his box of Newports and it's loaded with crack vials. Probably 50. I don't know. You can put a lot of crack vials in a, in a Newport box. Anyway. Especially the hundreds. Yes. <laughs> the hundreds. Yes. Newport 100. You get the extra 10 vials. Yeah, at least. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I got you. So he t takes them. He goes home. We end the tour. He goes home. He comes back the next day. He hands me two, three hundred dollars. I can't remember the number exactly. And this was that partner that you did the blast with. Yes. Correct. And he goes, we've been throwing this shit out. He says, it's cocaine. I said, okay. He goes, we ain't throwing it out no more. He had a fucking, he had a friend who worked for Brooklyn Union Gas, I think, who had a whole cachet of guys that would love to get their hands on some of this. And do you think that this guy was like the blueprint for you? You were the Kenny to this guy. I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. And and what was like what was the most significant score with him and what ended and what ended the partnership? He ran. <laughs> but we stole Noriega's cocaine. Tell us that story, please. What happened? We hit, we hit the play. It was an arm robbery. Went in like same thing like the other one. Go in and uh, we we hit the, we hit the spot and we saw it was everywhere. I saw the shoe boxes. When you see shoe boxes in the ghetto, you know you hit it. You hit it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there was about a hundred shoe boxes in the in this house, all lined up with shoes in them. A lot of money being spent here. So we found we found it, and uh, there's a whole big story on it. But when I went back to the place, there was two guys with machine guns under their coat standing there looking at me. And I went, okay, well, I don't think it's a good idea to go back in here right now. And I left. And then I saw Manny in prison. Noriega. And what happened to your partner? He went, he went to Key West to be a cop. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm getting as close to Cuba as I can. He says, because I may have to leave the country. And, and at that point, you're high and dry. You're alone. At some point, I become a lone wolf. And what's, what's your drinking like at that point? Well, you know... I can't lie about my drinking because I drank, but I never woke up once to a drink. But it was controlling my life. How? Well, it was just how I lived. I lived getting a drink. It was 
destroying my relationships because I chose to. So what? So it's not about the drink. You, we all know that in recovery. It's, it's about the atmosphere. It's about what we're running from, what we're not happy with. So I, I believe, in my sixties now, I believe that I was running from insecurities and a feeling of is this what my life is, and being unable to accept what it is. And instead of embracing my life, I fought my life for most of it. So instead of being happy and proud to be a New York City police officer and taking the job on with pride and dignity and satisfaction, I was never happy and never satisfied. It was never enough. It was never enough. There's always more. Something's missing in you when there's never enough. And I'm learning that still at my age. So on my way to see you today, I had 42 things to do. But just before I parked here, I wanted to take that moment to just reflect on how good I actually have life. For a guy who has no job, no pension, social security disability, if you notice, my arm is fucking horrible, my neck. But I have a good life. I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, like it's, when is it okay? My friend lives on a mountain with 30 acres. And he's still going somewhere else. It's like, when is, when is enough enough? I, yeah, but... It, it, it doesn't have to be any, it can, it's just in here. We don't know that. It's in here is enough. I go to my parents' house now. I sit on their couch. I'm at home. I'm 60 fucking three almost. I'm going to my parents' house to be at home, to be okay, to be grounded. Well, listen, I mean, <laughs> this is serious Preach. business. Yeah, I'm with my preaching. Uh, this is serious business. Yeah, you know, so life is serious. By the way, for your audience's sake, I'm a joker, but I'm a human being, and I am a lover. I think you, you probably know that about me, just from the things that you've seen and heard. And yeah. No, I think... Uh, I make light of tragedy, because I can't... That's what our show is. Yeah. Our show is to make... I mean, our show is the worst drug stories we ever had. Yeah, yeah. And, and being heroin I'm, I'm almost ashamed that my drug stories weren't like your guys' drug stories. I should have been that low, but you see what happens is when you're a real addict, a real one, you control it the whole time, because otherwise you get exposed. Explain that a little bit more. So a real good addict never gets caught. He lives his life in a closet, really. You know, not in a gay way, you know. I understand. Yeah. He lives his life carefully and measured. Not in his own world, but for you to see. And when, when do you bump up against serious, like you become like one of the- Like questions. guys that fall down? No. They're great. Because you know they need fucking help. Like me. Well, I was But fucked. think about it though. But think about it. You needed help. People could see it. I walked around the police department for 10 years. Getting away with it. Getting away with it. But ultimately, you didn't get no, away with it, it. But it destroys you the whole way. Right. It's like it's like a, something inside that eats you. And, I drive and, to right. work going like this, passing out. Functional addiction, functional so, alcoholic. It's, no, it's, it's not even the, no, no. I try to tell you, it's not the drink. It's, the, it's in here. I'm driving to work knowing I'm living a double life, triple life. And it's killing me. I'm 31 years old, pulling over on the side of the road. I'm not having a heart attack, but I'm feeling like I am because I'm living a horrible double, triple life. It's horrible. But I'm sure when you, when you, when you start working with uh, that bodega story, yeah. like when, you, when, money st when does money become substantial? I've n I always was, uh, my mother's a Jew, okay? So she knows how to save. 
she can cut a nickel into five quarters. All right? I don't know how she does it, but she does it. Yes. And so I, most of my life I've been frugal because we came up with nothing. Right? So I learned to be very careful in how I spend money. So I always, I never had a money problem. I just never had enough money. So at some point in my career, I start making real money. Well, first of all, think about it. I'm making two, three, four hundred a day just taking money off the street. In the 80s, that's big money. At the end of the week, that's $2,000 in your pocket. You could have a whole career with $2,000 a week back in the 80s and 70s and 80s and 90s. 100%. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're putting, if you're only making 1000 a week, I'm still making 500 more than you, and, I'm, and I'm, then I'm making my salary on top of it. So after getting released from the, 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 the umbrage of my family and going on my own, I went, when I left home, I already had two homes that would give me rental incomes. So I, I never was, so I was financially strapped, but never broke, if that makes sense. Sometimes I had a lot of real estate value and covered my bills, but I always had a way, it was always earning and churning. But when you turned from like taking money off of local dealers to right. hooking up with Alex Diaz kind of Adam thing. Adam Diaz. Adam Diaz. And Cello, yeah. Well, that was because what had happened was the 77th precinct got taken down. And that was basically for the same things that we were doing. Taking money off street dealers and busting places and shit like that. So I knew that that was passe. I mean, everyone's leaving the job. People, people don't realize it, but hundreds of cops left, disappeared around that time. I stayed, like you said, I was the lone wolf. Now I had to just suck it up, buttercup, and, 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 and do and become a police officer again, please. You know, a real legitimate one. And I will tell you what, it's very difficult to do that. Especially after you've dipped once you've at been, all. Once you've been dipping. Because two things have happened. One, you get used to the money. And two, the cops know. And now they're like looking at you like, wait a minute. Six of your partners have left a job. What are you doing here? Why are you still here? Who are you working for? No trust. And so on and so forth. And then when I run into the Diaz vis-a-vis the Auto Sound City shop, at that point, I'm, I'm looking to get paid anyway. So I had... I had grandeur things in my mind. We started to set up big kingpins that we thought were kingpins. What does that look like setting them up? So you, you monitor them. And we would try to hit them when they would get a load. But we, it was always, I don't want to say they were slicker, and, but it, it, one time I pulled a guy over. Funny story. I pulled him over. I, I think I got him. You know, because these guys are moving bricks and they're giving them to the local kids to, to deal for them. I think I got him. I fucking, he's got a brand new 280Z. Maroon 280Z, I pull him over and I, I toss, toss the car. I can't find anything. I'm looking, I'm looking. I says, all right, I go, you got away with it this time, but I, I got you. Like that. Because I, I can't find it. I'm walking the beat with the guy that did the bump with me in Coney Island. They shipped us out for the summer because we were, we were already hot. Yes. Okay, so they shipped us out to Coney Island to, to cool us off. I'm walking the beat and up comes... This guy, I have no idea who he is. He looks at me, he looks at my partner, he goes, Batman and Robin. I go, fuck you. Who the fuck are you calling Batman and Robin? He goes, that's what we call you. I go, who's we? He goes, I'm the guy with the maroon, <laughs> the maroon 280Z you pulled off in East New York. Right. I went, you motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, he goes, when you come back to the 75, hook up with me. I go, fuck you, who are you to, to say this to me? He goes, we know you're not looking to rock, lock nobody up. He says, we fucking call up on ourselves to see who's working that day. 
So they know what they can do. So they know what they can do. 100%. Brilliant drug dealer, huh? So, BS, that sends my mind off into another stratosphere. What does it do to my partner? He quits. Scared the shit out. So he quits. I stay with it. And what the fuck is not? Maybe he was the right. He was right. I'm, you know, I'm thinking. When a guy walks up to you in the street and says to you, "We can work together," there's a problem somewhere here. A lot of places. <laughs> was it, there's a problem, NASA. <laughs> and, but I mean, you had dipped in, and you see, it's kind of your golden ticket. When he says that, all the entrepreneurial shit starts clicking. Everything changes. And, and like when they ask you the instead question, of working against them, I now have a partnership in some way. Well, the commissioner asked you, did you see yourself as a cop or as a, uh, somebody who worked Gangster. in the drug cartel? Yeah, yeah. And you said? Both. Both. Yeah. And, and Because you could play both sides. Right. And you can get money from both sides both and get paid by both sides, right. which is like a pretty great place to be, except, except for when the, the other part, when the, the triple life in the car. When I'm driving to work, oh, my God, when's this going to end? How's it going to end? Why, why can't I stop this? And what's your relationship like with cocaine? As you start working with these organizations, it gets more and more uh, pronounced. Pronounced. When you, so, so I have to be fair, and I don't want to uh, exaggerate. I, if, I, if I did a half a gram a day, that was a lot, but I did it every day. And were you, would you say you were addicted to the money? I was addicted to fuck you. I was addicted to fuck you. Fuck you. The defiance. Fuck you. The great defiance of the. the fuck you. Yes. It's the truth. That's just the way it was. So is it, is it frustrating to be like after the fact of getting of everything going down and now like you're in recovery, whatever. And like you said, I wasn't an addict like these people. Right. Is it hard to deal with the classification of you as alcoholic or drug addict because you did a half a gram a day or because you didn't drink when you woke up? How do you that's see a, yourself? That, that, that's a tough it's a tough balance for me to go into meetings and recovery and say, hi, my name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. I never did. I never drank. And I, I said that this morning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Be and I do it because this, for the spiritual solution. Right. I do it because I, I want as many choices as I can have. Right. Like, because my life was, I mean, I wasn't making money on both sides of the street or, or working for, right. you know, a see, giant. That, see, that's why people, that's why I said to you, I'm, I'm jealous that I wasn't that bad in a way. Right. Because if I don't get that bottom, although facing life in prison might be considered a bottom for yes, some. Or 12 years <laughs> fucking. Well, facing life in prison might be a bottom for some. Of course, it wasn't for me. Not initially. You know, I had to go out while I was out on bail and try to rob people and leave the country. That was my goal. Rather than face up to it, accept responsibility here, and try to do the best I could for my family, I was all about me at that moment. Because when you get arrested, if you haven't been arrested, I would imagine, I've been arrested a few times. Yes, probably, yes, you know, yes. Anybody in the dope game? Yes. Uh, it's it's, and you probably couldn't wait to get out and get it fixed, right? I mean, oh man, that was the great. That was the the greatest high I ever was was getting out of jail, getting, getting high. The best, yeah. That was the best. Yucky didn't kill you. Well, I, I never went in many, very long. I only did a couple nights in the tombs. That's she it. didn't dry out too much. Never. No, never in jail. Yeah. I dried out in, in treatment yeah, many right, times, but right, never, right. never in jail. Uh, what was some of the scariest spots? As you work with Adam, because I imagine you talk about not having a bottom, and I also see your face when you talk about the triple life, right. and I can imagine the ramping up of pressure in that situation. What? Well, where did it get the scariest? Well, laying in the back of an ambulance and asking them to check me out. That's pretty scary. Why did, what was that? Because I was having hot shit go on, like from, from the 
anxiety. Psychosis, anxiety, whatever. I'm laying in the back of an ambulance. I pull over the ambulance, and the, there was a girl in the ambulance that we knew. We, we, we interacted all the time. I think her name was Anne-Marie or whatever. Do me a favor. Check me out. She puts me down on the stretcher, puts the EKG machines on me. She goes, she looks at me. She goes, stop burning the candle at both ends, will you? <laughs> That's all she said. You're fine. Stop burning the candle. All that did was set me off for another fucking two, three-year run after that. I'm actually, no, I got arrested in the next year. So solid year run after that. In the movie... When they, when you talk about, they, they're like Michael Dowd is a crook in a cop's yeah. uniform. You know, they yeah. say a lot of very yeah. negative things. Yeah. Uh, but your crew was really interesting, Chicky and Walter, and then Kenny. I still love those guys. And, and Kenny, he made a mistake. <laughs> well, I mean, they loved you, yeah. and Kenny seemed to like he couldn't live with himself. You know what I mean? He did, like, all, he did all right, though. <laughs> well, he sucking. survived, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's up at night. I mean, what is what Walter said in the movie? Yeah. He said yeah. he doesn't have to look, turn oh, around yeah. and look what's, what's behind him. Right, right. Does Kenny? Yeah. Right. Well, he, we're all over it now, but yeah. Right. So what, in that in that stressful period, yeah. how did it all go down? And and what was like, when you talk about going to the to the EMT worker and saying, check me out, what were the, the conditions in that time? Like Like, where were you at? I was in the 94th precinct. I had finished two two years in the rehab program, and they gave me my guns. They gave me my shit back. Go back to patrol. You're not getting out. In other words, they cut it short to, to put me out on psych or put me back to patrol. And in, in New York City, infinite wisdom, they gave me my gun and badge back and said, get out there. I mean, can you think of just what that... Think of that picture Did you do moment. two years straight in decision rehab? Did you- I'm being followed by internal affairs, still being involved in this shit, and they gave me my gun and badge back. I mean, could you just, I mean, you can't write the script any worse, but better in a theatrical way. How did you wind up in the farm, though? I ran to the farm. I was running to the farm because they were after me. The PD was after me. They constantly harassing me, haranguing me, and I couldn't find my shit one day. I couldn't find my, I don't know if it was my memo book, my handcuffs, my gun. I don't remember. Something I couldn't find. So I said, if they come today, I'm fucked. Because they keep looking for me. They, they keep hammering me with little little incident reports. Like, So I said, today's not going to go well for me. This could be bad. And I was dirty. So if they say, listen, bro, you don't have this, you don't have that, we're, we're piss testing you. So what happened was I walked up to the desk. I handed my badge and my, I guess my gun. I don't know. That's two, three guns, whatever it was. I said, I need to go away. They had already sent me to psych services, and they, and they cleared me to go back to work. It's a whole thing, the whole scenario of things that took place over this end. We, we're jumping over. It's good for the TV series. That'll be better in the TV series. <laughs> I don't want to miss anything too good. I want to get, I want to get. I mean, they're following me everywhere. They're blanketing me. And your surrender is, I'm a drug addict. Put me in the, farm. Me in the farm. Yeah. And then they're going to piss test me. And the PBA delegate steps in. Says, you can't piss test this man. He just turned himself in. What kind of precedent are you going to set for anybody else who wants to turn themselves in? Well, what can if you're going to turn yourself in to go to rehab? What does it matter? What's in your piss? You get fired. The, the policy. So that's a weird loophole. The farms for alcoholics. It's not for not cocaine. for drugs. Right. 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 You know that. I didn't know. Oh, that. you didn't know. No, that? no. I mean, I didn't. But I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know. That's yeah. The farm's not for for drug addicts. It's for alcoholics only. Imagine that. Do you think it still is? I think they may give you a one shot deal now, but I'm not. I don't want to speak. I, they, I know the city changed its policy, but I don't know about for the police. Because same thing was all city workers, they'd lose their job. Now you have a one-shot policy. If you're dirty, I, 
listen, I, I'm not negotiating with the unions, but they changed it. And did you do two years straight out there? Two years in the farm? Yeah. No, so so you go to the farm for rehab, 30 days, whatever it is, then you come back and you stay on the rubber gun squad till they're ready for you. And when when do you start opening up your own operation out here? I would say really when Kenny and I were working together, um, what happened was Diaz, money got tight because he would get clipped by Franklin and that, you know, that crew. So he couldn't pay us in cash till he re- recouped. So he was giving us coke. He's like, I'm going to pay you in I'll, coke. I'll pay you in coke for now. You know, Kenny wasn't getting it because Kenny didn't have an operation. Well, eventually, I go away to rehab. Kenny goes through, uh, gets put on lim- modified. He breaks his wrist on purpose. I tell him, we're in trouble, bro. He goes, yeah. I go, yeah, go break your wrist. He did. He went and broke his wrist. Uh, he smashed it on the, on the sink in the bathroom, which he'll, he'll say he didn't. <laughs> Still to this day, he says he didn't. They wouldn't put him on patrol because they knew that that would be the answer. But they, so they kept him behind the desk. On 4th of July weekend, they, they shot cops because they were all on details and on vacation. So Kenny was sitting behind the desk. They told him to get on patrol. East New York takes him that 15 minutes before an arrest comes up. So he chased a guy. Something, something, something. They grabbed the guy, brought him inside. He took the guy to the bathroom. He broke his wrist in the bathroom with the guy standing there watching him. So he said, ah, I just had a, a fight with this guy in the bathroom, which he didn't. You know, he just broke his wrist. He came out. And he charged the guy with assault. So, but when, when Diaz get, decides he's going to give you coke, you're like, fuck it. I'm going to set up my own shop uh, in Suffolk County. Yeah. Take it away from Brooklyn. That's quite natural. And it was the best coke in Suffolk County. As and, you heard the detective say. In, well, was it, in the, was it the pink coke? Yeah. The notorious yes. pink coke? Yeah. Why was it pink? I don't know. I didn't you, do you know? I don't, I don't, Why are you cutting your teeth? I don't know. Why? Yeah, it was amazing. That shit was amazing. But wh- oh, that's why you're going. <laughs> uh, but why? But why was it? I mean, like, there's. I we, I just had you know the kid from American Pie, Jason Biggs. He just came on the show, yeah. and he's like talking about getting the pink coke. Yeah. And now uh, thousands of people are writing. They put food color in it. This and that. No. Elvis was doing the pink coke. No. What's up with the pink coke? It, it's how they processed it in, in uh, I guess, Bolivia, where, where they basically make the Coke is in Bolivia, I, I believe. And I, I think they used ether, they called it, some kind of ether. Yes. Yeah. And however they processed it with the ether, it would leave an oily sheen in the cocaine and it would have pink ribbons through it. Very, very. We called it pink. So it, would, it was a faint pink. It was a faint It wasn't a hot it was, pink. It wasn't this pink. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a, hot a pink. It wasn't a salmon. It was a, <laughs> it was a pink ripple. It was a, it was a, it a was, sheen it was of a pink. sheen of pink and blue. By the way, going through it, it looked like they called it fish scale, and that's where that's where the the iridescent the, fish scale the fish is. Scale. That it, you see different colors, and it was the pink stuff that was because we used to like it called. The, this is stupid. I'm romanticizing it now in front of your audience. That's fine. That's what we do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's half the show. It was called bazooka, right? Okay, because of bazooka. Because gum. of the bazooka bu- bubble gum, it had that kind of pink sheen in it. I'm getting fucking a little itchy. You know? <laughs> Stay, Stay calm. When's the last time you did coke? A long time ago. Now. Do you remember? No. It's been, well, I don't have the date and time. No, it's been a while. Like, would yeah. you, like 10 years, two years, uh, six uh, weeks? Uh, well, yesterday? So, so, no, it wasn't yesterday or this month. No, it was probably after I came home, uh, I was sober for a bit. And then I, I started hitting it a little bit again. Uh, right around the time the movie came out, I think I did some for a period of time there. But I don't want to jump ahead because yeah. we're just in the fish scale. I'm really enjoying the fish scale talk. So you <laughs> it's set no up, fish scale out there now. I heard you set up probably the greatest coke in the history of this county of Long Island. Yes, and I'm sure it sent 
waves of you know i i interviewed a dude yesterday this crackhead from uh from uh rocky point and like he was talking oh, rocky point yeah i was just there yesterday yeah me My too i was just there yesterday too for therapy <laughs> My lawyer's there. You're going for therapy. And, this, and the crackhead's from there. It's perfect. Perfect. It's we like, could have had a meeting this there. This is God's will. 100%. So how does the operation And Rocky get... Point's one of the smallest towns on Long Island, by the way. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so how does uh, the operation... How does it all end? How long did the fish scale run? Oh, it was, it was probably... I would say 78 to 88, like that. And then, then what happened was they, 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 the government went after the ether producers. No, no, no. For you. How long did you have an operation? With the fish go? Yeah. Um, it's going to be like 10 years. You, you, no, no, no. It was probably about five years. So you made it a little bit. Yeah. And, and, but I see, as a police officer, it's not that easy to have a large operation. No. Because it's exposure. So I had three or four guys, and I made 1000 a week with them. So 1000 a week supplements anyone's income nicely. Of course, there were weeks where I made 5000 But- you know, Christmas holiday, New Year's, you know, 4th of July. I can tell you <laughs> Thanksgiving tomorrow night is going to be a big one, you know, because right after Thanksgiving, everyone wants to do a blast and go party. That weekend is that a huge Long Island weekend. Huge. Huge. Did you ever uh, smoke crack? No. Why not? Not once. I don't, I didn't, I didn't want to be a crackhead. Well, that's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> and did you ever, do you ever deal with pills at all? No. Because you never did that much coke that you needed no, to come I, down. You yeah, would drink. Uh, yeah, I had a bottle of vodka, you know. So talk about... The end of the run. Talk about before you wound up going to jail. So I knew it was coming, but I didn't. So it's it's difficult to 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 look at it and say, "Did you know it was coming?" But I, but I felt it. But it, even so, like any good addict, until the last minute, until you get your last one, you're about to stop. Right. You don't know when it's happening. You lie to yourself. You lie to yourself. Yes. It's not going to happen to me. Even though they're at my door almost. They're sitting in front of my house. They're following me while I'm on patrol. Picture that one. The police are following the police. And you knew it. Yeah. And you knew Kenny was turning. No. You kind of, When you describe it, you, you, didn't, you didn't at the time. No. There's two, two, we're talking about there's different periods going. That, 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 I'm listening. I'm yeah, sorry. There's different periods. To the last minute, I didn't think Kenny was turning. And then, I, then, I, then, I'm, then I'm saying to myself, is he turning? That's when we're out on bail. After, after the operation gets busted. After he gets 54 people get arrested out here on Long Island, which you may even know some of them because I, I found out there's quite a few people that know a lot of people. 54 people get arrested on Long Island. Around that operation. Around that operation. So figure how many people they know. Right and who they know and who they know. You know, I had people tell me you're fucking. Ru- I ruined their sister's life. I'm like, how did I ruin your sister? I don't even know your sister. Well, Coke ruined her life, and and you provided the good fish skill out here. Stupid me. No. I, it's not funny, obviously, but it, it's it's but it, it's humorous. But I think that you use it to. In- I think like. As you want to hear my armchair psychologist, well, at this point we should be certified psychologists. Well, my armchair AA bullshit tells me that you're such a fucking fighter and a hustler, you refuse to wave the fucking white flag. Yeah, you're and you're still doing it in many different ways to sell to sell the fucking story. Like you're fucking. That's the only I got left. But I'm telling you, no one's hiring me. The answer is you fucking lost the fight, and now you just need to win. The next one. The peace. The peace. I'm serious. Peace. First of all, peace is all we seek, but we don't know where it's at. Explain. 
Because you could bullshit a fucking bullshitters off their bullshit. Right. That's your thing. I love it. I love when they bullshit. You're, you're bullshitting me so good, I'm confused. I, that's I, a bad. I, I, that's a bad I, I sign. love when they bullshit. I hate it. I love it. I, you could you could out Trump Trump so we're e- good. Him and I would have a so good, we could, easily. We could have we could have a good go. Yeah, he and I. But yeah, I, I um I like when people are bullshitting me because I just because let me explain something to you. When you're sitting in prison. And the guy comes in and tells you, oh, my God, can you help me? Da, 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 da. I go, this happened, this happened, right. this happened, this happened. He goes, how do you know? Did you read my paperwork? I go, no, it's the same script. Just different, pull the names in and put the Because you're a lie detector. Yeah. Because you know how to lie. Apparently. So let's get back to the end of the run. I don't mean to derail you. It's my, important. My, my hips started hurting. Can I get you something better? Let me no, get no, you- no, 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 no. All right. <laughs> no, look at Okay. Look at So good. I want to hear the about, script. I want to hear the end of the run. So they're all over. They follow me around everywhere. I call my brother up who works for the DEA. I go, brother. He goes, yes, brother. What's going on? I got them down the block from my house. He goes, whatever you're doing, Michael, I don't know what it is, but as your brother, stop it. If they got you, don't make it worse. Of course, I couldn't listen to his advice. And within probably within within a month, I'm arrested. For uh, they come pick me at work. They ask me to come in for a pee pee test. And when I go in for the pee pee test up in Left Rack City, there's a whole gaggle of cops there on radios and this. I mean, I, I must have walked past 150 cops, all in brass, in in uniform. These are guys that probably hadn't worn their uniform in 20 years. And what are they there for? Me. I don't know. I thought, this is quite... It's quite the gathering. This is quite... It's quite the gathering of, quite, of officers. This is quite the association right. I belong to. Wow, you guys look great. Right. Well, everything was like, certainly sergeants, but lieutenants, captains, chiefs, they had birds, they had shit on their shoulders and I never saw in my life. Right. I never saw so many, we called scrambled eggs for the for the uh, yeah, the gold yeah, brass yeah, on their hats and, yeah, their, and their shit. I never saw so many scrambled eggs in my life. I mean... And I couldn't get rid of the shit in my pocket. I'm trying. I'm trying to dump coke. It. I couldn't get rid how of much it. coke you have in your pocket? I have five and a half grams. It's a little piece, you know. But uh, and I'm putting the clothes on. <laughs> they they surrounded me. I'm putting the clothes on in the in the station house with the coke in it. I didn't want to leave it in the locker because they'd find it in there if they tossed it. So I figured, okay, let me just take it with me and dump it. Motherfuckers had me wrapped so tight I couldn't even. I couldn't even dump it. So they marched me into the thing and. Yeah, we got it. You got the package? Yeah. They were doing the bust on Long Island. Kenny and the crew getting busted. You got the package? Yeah. Okay. Turn around. You're under arrest. For what? Conspiracy is tripping narcotics. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. What am I going to do? And you bailed out of it? Eventually. Yeah. They put, put us in Riverhead. I think, I don't know, we were a couple days there. and With Kenny. With Kenny and uh, the whole crew of us. Walter, Chickie. Walter, Walter ends up, Walter, no, I'm Chickie. Chickie and, see, Chickie and Walter got arrested on a different case a long time back. Walter ends up getting arrest, arrested that day. For, they, they, they wanted to link him to, the, to us, but they couldn't. Because he wasn't. But they wanted to. That's how they work. They don't give a fuck. Believe me, that's all smoke and mirrors, that whole show. What do you mean? That whole shit show. Everything's fake. Fake news. You know what fake news is? Tell me. Don't believe what you read. That's all I can tell you. And all they want is somebody to say, we got them. Yes. It's over. Yes. The good guys prevail. Correct. These are just some of the, yeah, the they scum. they Walter in for something else that he was involved in, but they, they could have arrested him any time they wanted to. They arrested him that day for show. 
because they wanted to link him to me and have him turn on me if they if they could. And Walter wasn't doing it. And Walter wasn't turning and he had no idea. He wasn't involved with me, but they wanted to link us. There's so many stories in the back of this that it's insane. So his did... brother came to me. Walter's brother came to me. Walter's out two weeks from prison and says, Mike, whatever you're doing, stop. He go, knew. I go, I'm not doing anything. What are you telling me? Yes. <laughs> yes, Officer Crumpke. <laughs> so how did they get Kenny? They get Kenny because because Kenny's okay. Kenny's not a drug dealer. Kenny's a Irish muscle pumping drinker. Accountant. <laughs> Mother's an accountant, right. And um <laughs> his mother was Jewish. Anyway, so seems like you all had Jewish mothers. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, Kenny's uh, Kenny is is it, so Kenny. Kenny's an avid bowler. I didn't know. So in the bowling league in West Babylon, on Sunrise Highway, there's a bowling alley. You can go there now. It's probably still there. Yes, I think it is. Well, Kenny set up a little operation there selling half grams. Why? Because he's a prick. Why would you sell half grams? Because you're a street peddler. You sell ounces or kilos. He lacked vision. He wanted to be with No, 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 no. Go back to the accountant part. Why? What, so what's the, what's the- He wanted all the money. He wanted every dollar wanted off every the half gram. He wanted every fucking dollar. He, he didn't, didn't want to share the wealth. The cheap motherfucker. He wanted the dollar from the street to the top. Right. And that exposed him to 50 different people all ordering cocaine on his phone or meeting him at the bowling alley. So the one guy that walks out of the bowling alley gets pinched, big muscle steroid juicer with Kenny, says, I'll give you a cup. They gave him Kenny. And they set Kenny up into a two-ounce buy. Suffolk County, that's big. And the, the cocaine they get in his fucking primo. Bazooka. Anyway, and uh, making fun of them a little bit, a little shot at them. But anyway, um, that was good coke. Good coke. Yeah. And um, so, Bazooka Brain, he ends up, uh, he ends, he ends up not knowing that they got him wrapped already. And he calls me up. I need a piece. Uh, what do you want? You know, I didn't even know he was dealing cocaine. He goes, Well, you know, blah, blah. I said, oh, What do you want? I'll get you anything. What do you need? Just get me brick. I got him a coke. I got him a kilo, and uh, and you loved Kenny. I would do anything for him. Yeah. And um, hold on, I'll get it. <laughs> Give me a few minutes, you know. And I went to his house to pick up the money, and they were there. I go, Kenny. He goes, what? I go, your house is fucking being surveilled, Mike. They've been following you for five fucking years. Like maybe you're right. They've been following me for five years. But I said, Kenny, this is different. This isn't them. This is somebody else. This is someone else. So he goes. Anyway, he gets on the phone, calls the 73rd precinct, his cousin, says, run this plate for me. Because he's getting the cocaine from them. They were robbing the street in, the, in Brownsville. He was getting their cocaine. Well, around Easter holidays, it tries up because the Colombians are good Christians. They don't. Lent. They, they, don't, they don't move cocaine around yeah. Easter. And uh, it's the truth. Catholics. Yeah, Catholics. And. Uh, Kenny couldn't get any. Of course, I can. So the price doubled. The price went from 17 a kilo to 34 a kilo in two weeks. So he was like chasing the, the bandit. But he, you know, good Kenny, he's so good. He's going to get every dollar from top to bottom. Half grams. Half grams. In a, in a bowling alley. 
So after they wrap him up, they don't arrest him because he's not on, he don't know. And then they get me going to his house and now they got my phone and it's a quick disintegration. I'll go to the Cayman Islands for a weekend, a week, whatever I go. And I'm, I got my Cayman Islands sweatshirt on uh, and I go to work and I take it off and then it, and then I'm tanned up nice, looking all tanned and swift and spiffy. And they roll up in, the, in a, they send me to, uh, to Left Rex City. And that's when I went down. Piss me off. Piss me. And then, you know, so you, you, heard, you heard me describe it already, what, what happened. They turned around in Left Rex City, said you're under arrest. We have to walk past the scrambled eggs up, up to the 16th floor. And when do you get to confront? So Kenny was selling half gram, grams of cocaine in a bar. And I mean, in a bar. And alley. that's how they turn him. And that's how it turned. He didn't know they didn't turn him. They never turned Kenny till the end. But that's what they have Kenny there on that. They got Kenny on running a 50-man operation. So then they say, so then they, Kenny, they, if you give us Dowd. They, well, no, no, stop. Don't get ahead of yourself. All right, break it down. I, Kenny calls me up for a piece. He doesn't know he's already under. They already got him wrapped, but he don't know it. He doesn't know. They already did direct hand sales. He's done. And I see him. I go, I'm not dealing with these people. They want to introduce me to somebody else. They want me to make a direct sale on the cover. I go, I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. I don't need to sell nothing. I'm done now. I just met him. How you doing? What do you want? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Have a nice day. I left. I'm done. Now I'm done. So now they wrap me up with him on the arrest. We go out on bail. That's when all this other shit happens with Kenny. He didn't cooperate until we were out on bail. And then on bail, what, what are they, what's the deal they offer him? They say that, we'll, that they, they, any cooperation agreement is pretty much the same. We can't promise you anything, but we'll speak to the judge. So, but you're facing the same thing as Dowd. And how, how hard- He had to plead guilty to racketeering as well. And then when does that whole thing with the woman, when does that job even come in? He brings it in. He brings it it's in. It's manufactured. And he, sa- he says, I have a way for us to get out of this thing. Yes, correct. The <laughs> thing I'm interested in is uh, how painful it must have been. When he was turning on me in front of my face and I can't believe it, you mean? Yeah, yeah that part. It's like when the guy comes home or the wife comes home and looks at the husband and says, I hate you, motherfucker. I know you're cheating on me, but I can't prove it yet. Right. It's the same thing that's going on with me. I'm looking at him going, how, how can you do- you're, not, you're not doing it, right? You're not. Tell me you're not. Just tell me you're not. No, I'm not. Okay. I ask him. Three, four times. Are you, are you wearing a wire? I, I, I was too full of pride to, to shake him down. I mean, you know, meanwhile, he had it on his calf. And I know it, it's not related at all, but when my, my partner who died doing dopey, I said, are you using? Right. And he said, no. And I said, okay. Just the exact the same no, thing. No, when he was. Yeah, yeah, he was. He yeah. died. He died the next week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and addiction so fucking disgusting. But it's the same thing. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. want to believe what the person is telling you. And even though you know it's probably not true, you condition yourself to believe it because the other thing is too horrible. Well, it sounds like you, doesn't it? What do you mean? When he's telling you it? Is that how you felt? When a guy's telling me he's not and I know he is, yeah. he sounds like me. Right, but you. But why do you think you gave him the benefit of the doubt? That could be the movie, The Benefit of the Doubt. Yeah, The Doubt. Well in doubt. Well so, in doubt. Yeah, so, uh, no, the thing was, to me, I, I didn't know what to do. What do I do to this guy that I love that's turning on me? I can't blame him, I guess. But at the same time, I, I want him to just embrace me and go with me. Fall with me. But instead, you did what he asked you to do, and you fell. And he got out. He did what I asked him to do? You did. You went along with it, even though you knew it, The better. whole time. The whole time I'm saying, I know this is not looking good. This just isn't looking good. Kenny, you're not doing this to me, are you? No, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you. I love you better more than my brother. And after it all goes down, 
and you get convicted and you're looking at life, you get 12 years. No, I get 14 years. You, right, I have to plead 10 to life. Right. And how, how did it only become 14? Because you decided to- well, so, well, federal sentencing guidelines had me in the 11 to 17 year range. They started out with a 34 year plea offer. That was my offer, 34 years. I said, who the fuck did I kill? That was my first reaction. Then I called my lawyer. I said, what the fuck is this? And even in this That's horrible- That's just the first offer he says to me. I said, first, start at 34. Where's this going? 31? So I, I had to bone up and say, I'm going to trial. And the last thing they want is a messy city trial where the city's in bad. Because I said, and there's 365 cops in the 75 precinct. Every one of them is going to be called as a witness. And not one of them has seen me do anything wrong. Because if they, if they say they have, they're in trouble. You had a lot. You had, you had, a, you had an arsenal. Like they didn't want to, they gave you the, the 14 because they didn't want to deal with that shit. Yeah, because I, I would have brought every partner I ever worked with. And they all would have had to lie and say, no, I never saw them do anything. And then, you, then you get out of it, too, and, at that point. Yeah, the only, and the only one talking against me is Kenny and a bunch of drug dealers? What, because you caught him selling drugs on Long Island? And that would have made them look horrible. Well, it would have... They listened. It's the feds. They would have won. But it would have been dirty for the city. So I think that they wanted to all... Let's find a number what, that we're comfortable, that we can say, make a statement against this corrupt officer and go with it. When you're looking at potentially life, potentially 34 years... Right. Where are you at? Physically, I'm in MCC, New York, looking at this going, oh, I guess I'll figure a way out of this. Right. Where, like kind of where you are right now. <laughs> yes. Like what's next? What's next? I have this ability. How am I going to- Yeah. How do I turn this how can I lemons this? into lemonade? Right. Which it's is what a, you do. Yeah. I, so the question it's is- It's funny, isn't it? Like that's, that's life. Like I always look for something. Surviving. Were you, how was drinking then? How was Coke then? Because like normally in these talks that I do, yeah. there's a definitive fucking bottom right. where they're like, I had no other where to go besides out. I had four homes in a condominium on the ocean. But you're facing life and your best friend fucking turn, right. turned on but you. But before that day, I had four, four homes in a condominium on the ocean. But you still had it. You just lost your best friend and you're facing this thing. No, I'd lost everything the day I got arrested because they took every, No, everything falls apart. The whole ball. Of, I built the house on sand, not on cement. Everything was... The, the tenants the tenants read the newspaper, just so you know. And they stop paying. They stop paying fucking rent real quick. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> right. So that's when it all falls to shit. Yeah, now you got to chase the demons and you got to, please don't, you know, now you get, you're asking your tenants who, eh, they don't necessarily like you. They don't necessarily hate you. I, it's a, I was a fair landlord, but the reality is they can save a grand right now. But emotionally and psychologically, when that hits you, where are you at? I'm getting all gritted up now. I'm getting so pissed off at right? some of these people because the people that you're best to in your life will turn on you, just so you know. You never know who's going to stand yeah. up. Yeah, And you know, the odd thing is, it's, it's, it's the people you don't expect that stand up. That stand up. And they embrace you back into society. I have more people that you would never have expected that come to my defense even, which is really sweet. You know, it's not actually sweet. It's humbling, you know? I mean, I feel this weird sort of hope for you because I think... All of us can do good. I think the shit that you did that wasn't good can somehow become good for somebody else. Well, I changed the police department. And some guys are pretty mad about it. But the reality is when you go to work as a police officer, you're really not supposed to rob drug dealers and sell cocaine. So if I stop... <laughs> well, you set up the how to not yes. get away with yeah. selling coke and right. robbing drug right. dealers. But what happened is it put a lot of pressure on the cops at the time to be, to be good. 
<laughs> guys got so mad at me. But, you know, more so, I think what it did was it, it, it sullied the face of a guy who didn't do that, right? So the guy who went to work every day and gave an honest day's work and thought he was making a difference or hoping, even if you don't think you are, you have hope that you can one day. And that's the sad part about it. I mean, look, I'm, we're in cop territory right now. You know that. No kidding. This is, this is police, fire, no. yeah. sanitation. You know, this is... This Trump is New land. York City. This is the deal. This is New York City sleeping grounds right here. Hundred percent. All the cops and firemen, including my family, and know. deli workers. Yeah, and and cats deli workers. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. So. No. So you you sullied them. These are my people, and 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 they hate me. Do they hate you now? Some of them. Yeah, a lot of them. I'm sure there's a lot of compassion yeah. though. Also, you know, when they meet me. And they get away. We get away from being humorous and and, and joking about how Tourette's life has been. A lot of them, when they get to know me, they actually embrace me pretty good. Well, it's because they, they know you're one of them. Yeah, yeah, in, in a way. Okay, but don't ask them. But no, don't ask them no, that. No, no. <laughs> because in their heart, they could all be you. Exactly. You know? Um, Maybe at, not all. At the Right. But, but parts of me. But you, I was a lifesaver. And then I was- Then you weren't. Then I wasn't. When, when, when things are at their worst, does your drinking or coke use escalate? Like, was there a, a darker time in your consumption? I guess the time between, the time between we get smaller, right? So if I go to bed at four, I'm falling asleep at five thirty. The birds is fucking chirping, and I'm getting up at ten thirty. So it wasn't it wasn't such a crazy descent. You weren't like living with a bottle under your pillow. No, thankfully. And how is jail? Fun. You're on the softball team. You were the pitcher. I was the star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one was volunteering to do my clothes. Let's just say that much. All right. Yeah. And 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 so so what? Jail and prison, two different places. Jail was more hectic than prison because people are just coming in off the street. Wild. Wild. They haven't gotten their fucking. They haven't gotten their their rollout yet. They don't know what's going on with their life. They're fighting for every inch of life that they have left in the street while they're transitioning to being a jailer, jailbird, whatever you want to call them. And then when you get sentenced to prison, prison life is different. Should I say it's a good life? It could be for some. It actually could be structured. Structured. You're, you're useful uh, in the society yeah, of you're, prison. You're part of the prison life. Right. Whatever it is. Was it good for you at all? Uh, in many ways. Uh, what was good? See, so what you see right now is a guy who's been ripping and running, and I don't mean in a bad way, but all over the country for the last, let's say, three, four years. You know, doing shows like this, not getting enough sleep at times, dealing with a relationship in Canada, you know, overseas, Canada. So, so what you're seeing is a guy that when I came out of prison, I was the calmest. Most level, measured person you would have known. You had structure. I had structure. Right. Do you think you'd benefit from more structure now? Yeah, I, I can use it. I know that. I'm, I'm leaning to it. I'm leaning toward it now, so more structure. Because it, it keeps you focused, grounded, and it allows you to actually accomplish accomplish more. See, when my, I look in my car, and when I realize there's more stuff in my car than in my house, I know I'm not really doing... You're not living not, how you want to live. I'm not living like I'm supposed to. Well, yesterday you met up with famous actor Austin Butler, is yes. that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who played Elvis to play Michael. Well, so I can't confirm or deny. That's fine. But no, but the reality is we had this conversation. And I think if they ever do the movie, which they've been talking about now for eight years, he, he, certainly he would be great to, to play the part. I mean, because he's talented and he's got quite the fan club, I would imagine, you know. Well, he was a good Elvis. I could see him playing you. I could see him pulling it off, putting a mustache on, and doing the whole thing. Yeah, well, I will see. And 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 uh, how? <laughs> Put it this way: I told him, "Listen, motherfucker, an eight ball and some vodka, and then you can talk to me." <laughs> uh, 
I, I thought it was just. Uh, I In other words, live that for a minute. Then you tell me. What, then then you can pass all the judging or make believe. Of course, I don't want him to do that. God forbid. Maybe he, I think he might even be. I thought it was half a gram a day. Yeah, but you got to start off. Yeah, you got to go deep. You got to load your pocket. Right, you got to fill it up. You don't want to be. You don't want to ever be caught without. So what keeps you? Because uh, I know that, and I know you make a joke. You make a joke that this is kind of like a meeting, but I know deep down. You smell some sort of fucking stability in this kind of a conversation. I love it. It's different than just telling the story. That's why I don't really want to tell the story. I'd rather talk about other stuff with you because it's a nice feeling to be able to, to discuss recovery. And I'm working with a couple of people right now to get them into into. I actually invited a guy here to sit here and listen to this. Are you interested in getting back into it? I uh, so so if you're if you're if you're if you've been in recovery you. You go like this again, you know, so uh, because you know what it takes. It's a full, it's a commitment. It's, it's a lifetime commitment. And, and so I feel like I could give you the structure that prison gave you. I'm not even joking. No, no, no I know that. No, no. Actually, I'll probably see you. What meeting are we going to tonight? Uh, tonight, I'm not going, but maybe tomorrow at 8 in the morning at Cory Beach. Oh, that's pushing it. Come on. 8 a.m.? Tomorrow. 8 a.m.? Tomorrow. What time do you go to bed? Late. Yeah. She's in Canada. Calgary. So? What's that? Two hours difference. So you stay up late on the FaceTime? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. What time? Eight. You should come. I don't I don't say, I never say You're something. You're not confirming. I never that. say something. If I show up, you'll know, you know, it was the time. I'll text you. Corey Beach. Don't you fucking dare text me. <laughs> now, give me a break for one second. Go ahead. This show is drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Right. This show is is the the worst drug stories that we can muster. Right. Can you give me one before we're done? I, you're going to ask me to dig deep, and I, I mean... Don't dig deep. The first one that pops in your head. I don't have any. Oh, stop. Not you. Maybe a bust. I mean, I love the fish scale, but a, but a, but a bust could be good. It could be useful. Well, so... And you're a great storyteller. Yeah, so you got you stumped me. Because I, I, every day of my life was action-packed. And so just... A, so drug stories. I, I don't really have fucking good... Uh, an exciting story was Diaz operation. We set up, we set up his other the crew that was uh, competing with him. We set them up, so we went and we rolled in on them, off duty, with our own private cars. We rolled in on them, and made believe we were going to rob them. Okay, but we weren't robbing them, but we were just letting them know that we could. We went in as cops, and then we tell them. We're not here as cops, motherfucker. We're here. We're here. To we're straightening you out. You need to join up with the Diaz organization, otherwise we're putting you out of business. So that night we all meet back at the Diaz organization, and Diaz had um, bags of drugs and money that needed to be escorted. So it's pretty cool when you're on an escort run with a bunch of, with a bunch of drug dealers. So we escorted the run back at the Howard Beach where where he stashed his cocaine and his money. So it was exciting. And and but to to paint the picture. Imagine five five off duty cops rolling up on a bodega, running in there and telling them, you know, police, and they're all fucking panicked, hands in the air, da da da. And then we go, all right, put your hands down, motherfucker. Join up with Diaz. The next day, the guy joined up with Diaz. And how big was Diaz? So it wasn't that they, he needed them to join up; it's they were competing. But in the movie, he describes himself yeah, as he, like he, he got a thousand kilos at a time. How did? Where did it come from? I wasn't on the shipment. I would have took it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of money. <laughs> How is he free? He pled guilty to uh, money laundering. They never had him on a deal. And then they just extradited him. He went back to prison for selling heroin. 
And then they actually died. I know. Did you have any relationship with any heroin no. heroin dealers? You know what? So here's the funny story. It's in my indictment, heroin, because we found a, 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 a ball of heroin. And Kenny told him about it. And we got indicted for it. I don't know how much was there. It could have been a gram. But it was, it was a ball like this, a heroin in a bag. And we tried to sell it. So you know a lot about heroin, obviously. You went through heroin, right? So it was cool. It could take a 10 cut. That's how good the heroin was. It could take a 10 cut. But when they cut it, the heroin went bad. Bad heroin. I don't fucking know. All the heroin I had was terrible. <laughs> I, I was at the bottom end of every let, 10 cut. Let me cut. ask you a question. Yeah. If I gave you $30,000 worth of heroin, shouldn't you just have given me $30,000 and cut it on your own? Don't tell me it went fucking bad. Maybe it didn't go bad. Maybe they beat me for 30000 Right. But that was my first time with heroin. Right. And how do cops normally, in your day Fuckers. and age or now, in terms of their dealings with addicts, mm -hmm. like is there a universe, like, like what, what are most cops dealing with addicts like? In general, like, is there a perception? Like, most addicts. You mean junkie? Let's say, let's say addict. You mean, hey, junkie? Let's say junkie. Let's say addict. Right. Let's say middle class addict. Let's yeah, say right. fucking stoner. So there's always a different approach. Obviously, there's a guy stoner, uh, uh, like you were in the street, right? Fucking, you know, it's like this scale. You know, I mean, it's, and it's sad, right? We're all human. But this is a sub scale. It's, you know, there's no, you lose a sense of humanity as a cop. You lose it. Could you imagine if every, if I saw 50 guys like you in a day? I'd have no heart left. <laughs> a woman came up to me. I can't give you the answer that you want. No, there is no answer. There's no I answer. No, I understand. Some guys are scal. Some guys you feel bad for. Right. You see a young woman out there. You're like, oh, my God, this is someone's daughter. But how long can you hold on to that? Oh, my God. You're onto a shooting in, the, in a few minutes. A rape, a robbery. You know, she's the best one of the, of the crew right now. You know, it's just, it was so... Debauchery. It was debauchery. And when you're dealing with trying to sell a story like your story, yeah, I'm not trying to sell this fucking story. Where, how do you, how does it become story a movie? sells itself? How does it become a movie? Money. It's all it takes. All it takes is money. It's there. Michael, I'm gonna say this, and this is fucked up. I think you need to get back in recovery, and all this shit is gonna go the way you want it to. And if you don't, it might not. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate your time, man. I really do. So we're back after a long time on in the East Village. What's the neighborhood called? Greenwich Village. In Greenwich Village <laughs> with strung out author, elite equestrian, fucking unlicensed advice columnist, and my dear friend, Aaron Carr, welcome back. Thank you. It's been so long. It's I think I haven't, like, other than DopeyCon, I think it was like June or July. It's been too long. Yeah. And uh, I want to, I want to be clear about this. Michael Dowd, right? Mm -hmm. The self-proclaimed most corrupt cop in the history <laughs> of New York City, came to me by way of my meeting on mm -hmm. Long Island. Uh, a gentleman named uh, that we call Fireman Chris mm -hmm. said to me, "Hey Dave, uh, you want to get Michael Dowd?" And I said, "I don't know. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Most corrupt cop in New York City history." I said, um, "Is he sober?" Eh, I don't think so. <laughs> and I said, "No, years ago." Right. But then I decided to say yes. Amelia, mm -hmm. our very very talented woke editor yes. co-producer, didn't love Michael Dowd. 
she 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 also subscribes to the all cops are bastards point of view and right. which is which is you know i i respect that right um you know shout out to all cops that aren't bastards but i i understand that and aaron you are a very progressive woman mm-hmm. did you get a sense before we get into the yes. niceties of welcoming back to the show <laughs> did you get a sense of this guy being morally reprehensible i mean do i think like on a scale of like all morally reprehensible people he's like the most reprehensible no he just kind of he just kind of seems like a lot of other cops to a certain degree where like yeah i did some shit and i got in trouble for it <laughs> but like it is what it is. I mean, he doesn't really seem like, I don't know. I mean, I don't like, I feel very ambivalent about him actually. Like kind of like he, he I wouldn't say that from his self-proclamation of being the most corrupt cop. I think that there are cops that are probably far more corrupt. He seems like somebody who was like, took opportunities and was a drug addict. And so it was like, Hey, I'm a cop. I can use this to my advantage. Like, I mean, I didn't find it like I didn't find him like to be like the most the like the wildest, most insane cop stories or anything. You know, it wasn't like that. Like he he was what he is. <laughs> he is what he is. <laughs> no, he 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 reminds me of of everybody at my meeting. Mm-hmm. But even more than that, he reminds me of this guy who was the head chef at Katz's who uh-huh. died. Kenny Cohn, uh-huh. and he was identical to Kenny. Really? So I sat there feeling, I felt very close to him because of his style of speech was so Kenny and uh, Familiar. Suffolk County. Yes. And he had, and, and this Michael has a Kenny too. Oh, that's the best part of the story, right? Yeah. Is when he, oh, Kenny's a fucking prick. <laughs> why, why did, why did Kenny sell half grams? Because he's a fucking prick. <laughs> That was how he was there. That was his favorite yeah, part. That was how, pretty funny. How he couldn't contain himself. Right. How he thought this was the best guest we <laughs> ever had. What do you got for notes? Uh, okay, let me pull up my notes. I don't have a ton of notes, but I do have a few. So, and I, because I forgot his name when I first started listening, I just titled it Corrupt Cop Notes. <laughs> Fucko notes. Um, well, I, first of all, I do agree with him that you're better than Joe Rogan. So I, I was like, I totally agree. I, would never listen to Joe Rogan and obviously could listen, talk to you for a million years. Um, The one thing I did relate to on what he said is that he did talk about, well, I didn't agree with everything, but he said that he thinks like real, like a true addict is somebody who like is able to conceal it for a real length of time. I don't agree with that. However, I do think that I, I, I did relate to the ability to be able to, present one version of yourself to 99% of your life and then 1% of yourself you know is really this like terrible heroin you know for me cuz you're the ma- cuz you're the master compartmentalizer yes it's it's like so i i actually really related to that and then i and it's kind of like why you can go for long periods of time without getting caught is how well you're able to compartmentalize things and control things like i went through long periods of time where I would control the amount that I was using, you know, during the week or something so I could go to school or whatever it was. You know, obviously that didn't work forever. It got to the point that I couldn't control it. However, I, you know, would take myself on trips, kick on airplanes, like all that stupid stuff. There's a lot, there was a lot of like my like sheer 
stubbornness at not getting caught. And I, so I understood that about him. You could relate to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I wish that he, the one thing I wish that like I had more of a handle on was really what his thoughts are about incarcerating people who are arrested for drug related offenses. I, you, I mean, you kind of asked him like at the end about like, cops approaches to you yeah know. His, his response was some are fucking scales I, I wish i asked him what a scale was I know, what I, it, like a skeleton no a scale is like like a, a it's like it's like a like a, a schmuck like oh, just okay. like, an, like a loser okay. i think that's what a scale is I, I i went i was trying to go to sleep the other night and i couldn't <laughs> go to sleep because i was thinking why didn't i ask him to define scale well, for me could we google it yeah i'm, I'm scale. scale uh I don't know. What is a scowl in slang? A, a homeless person who lives on the street, sleeps in doorways or subways, et cetera. Derek, derelict. derelict. And then two. A slovenly person. That's me. <laughs> That's how my mother always described me. <laughs> that you were slovenly. A slovenly person. <laughs> oh, my God. That would have been fun, funny if my mother called me a scowl instead. <laughs> a fucking scowl. That's it's very funny. Joe Pesci. Very Joe Pesci. But, um, but they do say that it. I'm, I'm reading something else. It oh, perhaps the etymology of it comes from skeleton to describe the often skeletal appearance of drug users. Alternatively, from skellum or skelder, which is a Scandinavian or Danish word meaning to beg in the streets, used by Ben Johnson in 1599, in the sense of of describing a suspicious person. It was popularized by the American TV police drama NYPD Blue. Now, do we think that? He stole that from NYPD Blue. No, or I, that that's a cop thing. No, I think it's a, it's a it's a it's a New York City right. thing. Like it's it's something you hear whenever you go into old New York City talk. But wait, one thing I was confused about. I was a little bit confused as to what ultimately happened with his sentencing. I know he like they offered him thirty four years, and then he decided to go to trial. But I didn't. I somehow like missed what the ultimate outcome was. He did twelve. 12. Okay, that was, I didn't know what the number was. Oh, that's still a hefty, he did a full 12? He did a full 12, and now, you know, he 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 lost his pension, obviously, and yeah. he lost his career, and he lost his life, and he um he's trying to sell... The, his life rights. The life rights. Yeah. I mean, they made this really, really crazy documentary mm-hmm. about him called The 7-5, and now... I don't know if we talked about it in the in the talk, but Ben Stiller mm-hmm. owns the rights to the seven five, oh, okay. and they want to buy his life rights now. Right. And Amelia brought up a really interesting point mm-hmm. to me: is as somebody with a platform, mm-hmm. is he worthy of being platformed? You know, and that's a very mm-hmm. kind of like higher progressive kind of sentiment. And I know for me, I know for me, like. It's a question I don't ask myself very often because mm-hmm. it's usually very easy. I platform addicts who are in recovery to hear their story. Mm-hmm. Um, or I platform experts to speak right. about their findings. And to be honest... He's neither. <laughs> well, he, he definitely is an expert about being a... a corrupt cop. A corrupt yes. cop and being a hustler and right. a drug dealer and an incarcerated felon. Right. Um he doesn't have the recovery piece. So whenever right. I talk to somebody who's not in recovery, I lose track of the narrative. Right. And I try to like plant some sort of morality or right. upstanding quality that I want to see in him, in him. 
But you know what? What I just just occurred to me is that in some ways, like it's not our job to do that, right? And this isn't whether or not he's worthy of a platform, but just like looking at somebody who's in recovery or not in recovery, they're all just different stages of addiction. Exactly. So there is there is there is value to that. However, I also can see Amelia's point because there are plenty of corrupt cop stories that we've seen made into either corrupt cop stories or criminals who like, you know, Goodfellas, I mean, right, was based on Henry Hill, who was in the witness protection program or Catch Me If You Can about like the guy, you know, now like my dad met him (laughs) because he goes and speaks to like corporations about like cybersecurity and, you know, Last year or something, they did a story about the Catch Me If You Can guy. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I can't think of his name. I can't either. It's, it's, uh, uh, me and Nora just watched the movie this week. I liked that movie. It's, um, something junior. Oh my God. I, I swear to God, I have early onset. No, I, I, it's, I mean, look, I, I just turned 50, Dave. I'm, you know, I am not, I'm not like, we wish you, we, I am officially over that bump of the hill. Like, we wished you a happy birthday last week. Oh, you did? I haven't listened to the episode yet. Uh, Martina and her new dopey boyfriend sent oh, in that. I know, I, I, did, I did hear that. That was so sweet. Yes. Oh, Frank Abagnale. Frank Abagnale Jr. Yeah. Um, so me and Nora watched that movie, mm-hmm. and I saw something that came out last year or the year before that said the whole story was bullshit. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, but I think he's still like scamming in a way. And I think Spielberg signed up to be part of the scam because it's such a great story. And I think, I think for me and for making Dopey, I'm not beholden to it being a heroic recovery show. Because, uh, because it's not our job to, we, we should, I mean, because I think that ultimately when it comes to addiction, we should never place morality at the center of any of it. I totally agree. However, that said, I do think that there are plenty of things that people did while they were under the influence. Um, Oh, my God. See, now I have early onset dementia, too. The guy who was in the punk band and he killed his girlfriend. Sammy Town. Yes, Sammy Town. This is a guy who committed murder, right? while on drugs but he served his time and he has he has like perspective on it and remorse and and feel you know this isn't somebody who's like oh shit happens you know what i mean it's somebody who has uh has a sense of what he did and i think that's i think that, that that's like growth right is if you can look if you can confront things that you did and like evolve from them that's great. <laughs> and it's like, that's an argument about the show from the beginning. Like an argument about the show is, is it glorifying uh, drug use? Is mm-hmm. it glorifying addiction? And a lot of people said it was, and then people said it wasn't because we had sober people on except Todd in the beginning. And and then I just don't ever want to get bored of making this show. Right. And I refuse to be like, it needs this trajectory or it needs that trajectory. And like something like, like Fentanyl J, Mm -hmm. like his story has gotten to be a very, it's like he's in this, he's stuck. So I can't have him on over and over again because he's too stuck. Right. But with this guy, I just thought you're getting, first of all, he was on Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. 
uh, he was on Soft White Underbelly and mm-hmm. it got like five million views, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. And like that means it's a profound story. Mm-hmm. And if I have access to a profound story, and I think as a drug addict, to talk to a corrupt cop that started a coke ring based it's upon doing protection mm-hmm. for a coke ring, I think that's very dopey. Yeah, you for know? sure. And I think it's worth telling the story. I do really appreciate Amelia's point. Yeah. And I think to question it is um is great. Of course. I mean, that the thing is, is that, you know, it's like what we were talking about earlier. I think that there's, in life, <laughs> we need to have the, or I shouldn't say we need, but ideally- we have the capability of like holding multiple truths at the same time. So we can look at parts of any person's behavior and be like, yeah, that's really fucked up. And also they are a drug addict who I have empathy for. And also they are a human being. And also they have all their own stuff. So, yeah. To be totally truthful though, and I don't like to to like put myself down, Mm I wish I had made him talk about regret. I wish mm-hmm. I made him talk about his take on his part more right. more so. I get so caught up in the moment. And I also didn't have time to right. uh, prepare. Like he was like, I got his phone number. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to Florida on Wednesday. If we don't do it on Tuesday, we're not doing it. Right. And then I was like, okay. And I listened to Joe Rogan and I listened to Soft White Underbelly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, da, 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 da. And I... I also didn't want him to tell the exact same stories that he told in those places. Right. So I I found that it was a little confusing. Oh, I don't think it was confusing. I just think, you know, I guess I I would, I think exactly what you said. Like, I'd be curious because I know. I want to hear about his regret. Yeah, because I think for, like, I think for my, like, even like if I look at like myself, like I've for sure thought about, written about, like, just sort of our own complicity in sort of like these like sort of cycles that happen within like drug user, drug dealer, cop, like there is a whole ecosystem in the drug world. And like, there are ways in which all of us contributed, not consciously, but in ways that, you know, but that's what I was going to say, like where people said that dopey was glorifying drug addicts Mm -hmm. or drug stories, whatever this guy specifically what happened, his story, mm-hmm. he gets called in to do a documentary mm-hmm. about this commission called the Mullen right. Commission to explain the nature of corruption in New mm-hmm. York City police. And he's like, I got a fucking story that'll blow you away. That's, and, and he <laughs> right. tells the documentary, the documentarian, documentarian, the documentarian, his story. Mm-hmm. And, and then he's like, the documentarian, like, in his story, the documentarian goes out to Eastern Long Island mm-hmm. from New York City to meet with corrupt cop Michael mm-hmm. Dowd. He gets off the train. Uh, he sleeps through his stop, and Michael Dowd has to drive to Patchog. <laughs> he sleeps from Islip <laughs> to Patchog. Michael Dowd picks him up. He, the guy wants to ask him about this Mullen mm-hmm. commission, and Michael Dowd goes, I got a fucking story that's going to blow you away. And th- this is what he told me. Afterwards, I took... Howie, Michael Dowd, mm-hmm. and this guy Gil to lunch because uh-huh. we did it at Gil's photo shoot studio, okay. and Howie shot it. And Michael Dowd is a schnurr who wanted free lunch, mm-hmm. so I take them all to fucking lunch. And he says, "So I pick up the documentarian and I tell him my story." <laughs> and he picks up the phone and he's like, "Ezra, we gotta lose everything we have. We gotta do this story. Dis. <laughs> we and, gotta do dis story. Dis story. <laughs> and um, and basically, 
Like that's how the seven five came to be. Right. Because Michael Dowd's story is so and forgive me for using this word, mm-hmm. sensational. Right, right. You know, and he, because he's he's so Trumpian and he's mm-hmm. such a sensationalist, mm-hmm. he gets on Joe Rogan and delivers. Right. He gets on Soft White Underbelly. Then at lunch, I say to Michael Dowd, mm-hmm. oh my God, that Soft White Underbelly uh, piece is so good. And, and everybody who likes Dopey loves Soft White mm-hmm. Underbelly. And, uh, and of course, the guy who makes Soft White Underbelly Mark Leta, mm-hmm. he's ignored all of my advances, <laughs> and um, and we sit at the lunch table, and, and Michael Dowd's like, "Oh, you want to fucking talk to him? Oh, let's talk to him." And he takes out his phone and he calls him at the lunch, Mark mm-hmm. Leta, and Mark Leta loves Michael Dowd. Mm-hmm. He's like, "That was my favorite soft white underbelly." Wow. Blah blah blah, and then um, and Michael Dowd is so funny. He's like leaning back and he's like. What are you gonna give me for Christmas this year? You know, and then and then I'm like, can I can I pitch him coming on Dopey? And I'm like nervous, mm-hmm. and he never heard of Dopey, mm-hmm. uh, not interested in coming on. I said, how can I get a hold of you? He goes, oh, you can write my email info at softwhiteunderbelly.com. It's like, thank you. <laughs> and I wrote him, and of course, I never heard back. <laughs> but my point is that Michael Dowd is rewarded. Right. For telling his story. In the way he tells in it. In such a mm-hmm. sensational of course. way that it fucks him up morally. I understand. He doesn't have, he laughs about it, but not the redemptive survivor's mm-hmm. laugh, but the guy who got away with it. Right. I think. Well, because it's another drug, right? I mean, like the getting- the 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 adulation and like the, the approval and validation, because- I mean, we all, that's, look, we all do that, right? I mean, we all like to hear somebody say something good about us. So, of course, if he's getting accolades for telling his story in the way that he tells it, that he's going to chase that. Well, <clears throat> I appreciate him telling his story. Yeah. I don't want to be, I just think it's complex and worth for talking sure. about the complexity of him as a guest. For sure. And... Yeah, I mean, I'd be like, it's it's interesting. Like, I have like, I have so many follow up questions. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, because there is definitely more there than than we hear. And also, like, he's. I mean, he told me that he was going to come to meetings after that, mm-hmm. but he didn't. Right. And uh, who knows? He's as they say, in the wind. Right. But um, or Florida. <laughs> I expect there to be a great controversy in the Dopey Nation from this piece. Really? Yes, I think there'll be a lot of blowback. Well, also because he's a cop. And he's not in recovery. Right. So let's see what happens. Obviously, we want to hear your opinion. Send in an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Please don't be as harsh as you guys tend to be at times. (laughs) Be kind. I I have a very thin skin. And Aaron, what else is going on? What happened with that fellowship thing? Oh, I went to a fellowship this summer. That was really amazing. Um, I didn't like it was crazy. It, it felt like being at, a little bit like being at summer camp. I mean, it was not like I it was not like a re- every I kept talking to friends and I'm like, how's your retreat? I'm like, it is not a retreat. I'm like, I am hardly sleeping. <laughs> um, but it was really fun. I met a lot of amazing people. There were playwrights there, poets there, fiction writers, nonfiction writers. And the playwrights were amazing. I went and saw this play called, if any, I mean, it's only going to be a couple more weeks and I think it's completely sold out at Playwrights Horizons 
David Ajmi's play Stereophonic is astounding, like nothing I've ever seen. And I saw like a reading of it during my fellowship and my agent happened to be at the fellowship for two days as well, like taking meetings with people. And so she saw the reading as well. We went to it together. Phenomenal. Three hours long about a like sort of Fleetwood Mac type of band disintegrating while recording an album. They rebuilt a working uh, recording studio on stage and it was phenomenal. Music was good? Music was wonderful. Original music? Original music written by one of the members of Arcade Fire. I can't remember who. And, uh, but doesn't sound like Arcade Fire. It sounds like 70s, you know. Pop. Rock, Fleetwood, pop. Yeah, rock. And the actress Sarah Pigeon was amazing. All of the acting, it was so good. I felt like I was, like, having spent a lot of time in recording studios, I felt like they did a phenomenal job on, like, nailing the atmosphere and like sort of just sort of the disintegration that can happen there. <laughs> right. It's really, really good. And I think that's just cool to make uh, <clears throat> the stage a recording studio. So it was amazing. And so the fellowship just like exposed me to things like that. Like I never would, I mean, I don't know if I would have, I mean, I may have heard about the play anyway, but it was just so cool. The poets were amazing. Yeah. I had a great time. You know, it had been a weird summer. Some more people died. Like, over the I mean, it's just been a, a year of like a lot of loss in a weird way. And I turned 50. <laughs> so I feel like, uh, you know, that's weird. That is a weird number to wrap my head around. It's like I, I feel like I hang out with a lot of people older and, and a lot of people younger. Me too. And uh, 50 does, you know, it's I'm glad you're older than me. I'm glad I, I'm glad you're so much older than me. <laughs> It really. I'm a full six months older than you. It's funny because I my sponsor is like ten months younger than me, mm-hmm. and whenever I start talking about my age, he like starts acting like I'm much older than him, and it's like it's like, dude, you're fucking the same age as me. He's like, no, I'm I'm two I'm two years. There's like there's like a month where we're two years apart right, somehow. Right. It's like the month before he turns and the month before I turn mm-hmm. or after I turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and we're two years apart. But he always like mocks me as being much older than him. <laughs> I want to do a play where you set up Katz's on the stage. Oh, that would be amazing. I know. I know. I'd call it The Last Jewish Waiter. And it would be a musical about the making of The Last Jewish Waiter. We call it The Last Jewish Waiter the musical. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be really cool. I know. Especially I, if you could smell the pastrami. It's at the bottom <laughs> of my list of things to try. <laughs> it's, it's at the very, very, very bottom. Um. We should have led with this, but I know I'll talk about it at the beginning of the show, is that um, Mike Mart died. And, uh, mm-hmm. like, I am, I can't even believe how how um, leveled I am by right. it. Like, uh, he was, I never met him. I never met him in person. And he was such a, he loved Dopey, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like Bob, Bob Forrest started Don't Die. And Bob Forrest was super gracious about it and mm-hmm. said on Don't Die, we're just ripping off Dopey. <laughs> and Mike Mart was their producer, their mm-hmm. engineer, and was on sometimes, but not not that much right. here, here and there. And and me and Mike, I, I don't even know how we started talking. I, I think it was because they would have me on as a guest here and there. But me and Mike became friends. Mm-hmm. And then Mike produced Amy's show. Right. Amy and Joe and and like so me and Mike would talk about music all the time. Mm-hmm. We talk shit about Amy. We talk about 
uh, Rehab Confidential. Mm-hmm. We talk about Don't Die. We talk about recovery. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had um, cirrhosis from Hep C. Mm-hmm. And um, he died way quicker than anybody thought he would. Right. And I saw Chuck, who's Bob Forrest's partner on mm-hmm. Don't Die, posting pictures of Mike with his son. And uh, I texted Chuck, what's going on with Mike? And because Mike what, hadn't responded to my last text. And he goes, oh, I think he's, he's, he's in the hospital or something. Right. And I didn't reach out to him. Um, I texted him, mm-hmm. but I didn't call him. It was late at night or then it was early in the morning. And I he just may figured, not have been able to talk anyway. I just figured I'd get to it. Right. And I never got to it. And now he's gone. And um, I just want, I guess I want people to know that he was a really, really generous, generous person. And he, he came up in that L.A. scene mm-hmm. and he helps a lot of people. He helped yeah. a lot of people. And I'm sad that he's gone. Yeah. And I'm sad that I never got to meet him. Right. Because I also had this dream that DopeyCon would be this place where all of the recovery podcasts get to show up mm-hmm. and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And like that never happened. Right. Like that just ne- and now Mike will never get to do it. And Mike was actually on Dopey. He was mm-hmm. a Dopey fan. Um, do you want to do an email, a voicemail or an ask Aaron? Can we do two? Yeah, but we want okay. to do first. Okay, let's do the Ask Aaron because I have it up nice. in front of me. Okay, so I this is a recent one that I received and the, the subject line says, can you stay in a relationship with an addict? Dear no. <laughs> is it, dear Aaron, is it possible to stay in a, in, in a parentheses, happy relationship with an addict? When I met this person three months ago, it was by chance and we fell in love very quickly. He's smart, sexy, emotionally intelligent, charismatic, kind, and thoughtful. I have never felt so loved and understood. Initially, I wasn't aware of the extent of his cocaine use. I knew he used it, but not how much a part of his life it it was. But as we got to know each other, it became more apparent. His experience with addiction and recovery has been quite turbulent over the past several years. He was sober and clean for 18 months at one point. Six months ago, he was using multiple times a week. Now he uses roughly every three weeks, and he's currently in therapy for substance abuse. There's no way. Over the past few months, he's tried sobriety in varying forms, not drinking and not using, then drinking and not using, but he has relapsed three times, always when drinking. He's very open about it with me and feels an enormous amount of shame and guilt each time, and I feel deeply for him. I have tried supporting him the best I can, and I love him so much, but I'm finding the cycles of relief, anxiety, and heartache almost too much to bear. What should I do? Sincerely, heartbroken. First, uh, she should leave. Yeah. Um, There's no way he's being honest. He uses Coke every three weeks. There's no no way that is accurate. I mean, it's possible. Look, even if that's the case, like even if we take everything that he's told her at his word, it's still not a good situation. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't care for her, but I have yet to see somebody be able to really get and maintain recovery when they're in a relationship like this. Well, I mean, you have to kind of separate. I mean, it doesn't, maybe they could work out if like he goes and like finds himself and and gets well, but like it's going to take the time it takes. I, I bet you there are people out there who have gotten sober with some very, understanding potentially codependent partners (laughs) it makes me think of um a couple times in my life i remember i was working for 
the college cable company and I was working on a, we were doing this thing called uh, Bandamania, mm-hmm. you know, which was, and we were, we were on tour with Marcy Playground mm-hmm. in the late 90s. Yeah. And I went to Chicago with Marcy Playground mm-hmm. to shoot, you know, I smell sick. Oh, oh, yeah. I remember because uh, that song was really big when yeah. I first went to rehab. It's also a great song. Mm-hmm. It uh, is a good song. <laughs> and I, they were playing at some bar in Chicago and I was like dope sick. And I got there dope sick. And I remember that night, I wasn't that dope sick. I was mm-hmm. functional. I was just feeling a little squirrely. Right. And that night, um, after the show, I found heroin. Mm-hmm. But I some I met some girl. Mm-hmm. And I decided that night I was going to go with the girl instead of get the heroin. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then we started this weird long-term, long-distance relationship. Uh-huh. And she visited me. And we went to bed, and it was around Christmas time. It's probably uh-huh. around now. Right. We went to Bed Bath and Beyond together. <laughs> we bought scented candles. <laughs> it's very romantic. Right. And I was always so even thinking about it, I feel squirrely. Right. I, was it, so, I feel yeah. sick to my stomach. Uh, <laughs> Look at that, that, <laughs> you're that just, cramping you're, in my stomach. You know, you're just sick because I'm talking about scented candles and Bed Bath and Beyond. And my R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. Is it? It's gone, huh? I think so. I right? Know. Didn't it go out of business? And I was like, wow, I have a stable life. And uh, <laughs> and then. I think with her, she would go to sleep at night and I would then I would like get somebody to bring me heroin and something. And then like she left and then I like told her. She like wanted to like have a relationship with right. me. I think she wanted to move to New York. And I was like, No, I'm a drug addict, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I'll get you help. And I was like, No thanks. <laughs> and we never spoke again. Um, and I had the same kind of thing happen with somebody else years mm-hmm. later. But this is a classic situation because an addict who's not yet ready mm-hmm. to get sober or near a bottom is the best. They're having the best time. They're generous. <laughs> they're bubbly. Like, like you heard how he de- she right. described the dude. Right. I was the best at right. that point. I had money. My life hadn't bottomed out. And you think you're in paradise because you're in that that sweet spot of mm-hmm. the addict getting to use without the consequences mm-hmm. before it's about to end. This girl should get out while the getting is good. Yes. The dude is being dishonest. Yeah. And it's going to get bad. Oh, this is going to get worse for sure. You're in for like more heartbreak and, you know, this is something he's going to have to deal with, deal with without you. <laughs> Unless you're willing to be like captain codependency, which is not, which is going to prolong the process. Oh yeah. And it doesn't mean look, look again, like, you know me, like I am not somebody who's like, you have to cut people out. It's just that it's, I, in my experience, I say this all the time, every relationship I had while I was actively using, like depended on my partner's codependence. And that doesn't mean that there's, there's something that that can't, they can't change that, that they're, you know, I mean, like the smartest thing Linda did was like leaving you, right? And cutting you off because- Codependency is the best though. It's like when they yeah, take care of you and sure. enabling, enabling is such But not a, really. It's great until you're dead. It, but it, it's not even that. Like it's not because I think that like I felt when I was in those codependent relationships, I didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel like it made me feel the way I felt with my parents where I felt sort of infantilized where like I couldn't, it just made me feel like that person thought I wasn't capable of taking care of myself. And I wasn't in certain ways but it made me feel worse about myself. Yeah, I really enjoyed being enabled. And being, <laughs> I really did. I really, I I loved being taken care mm-hmm. of because I think it was like kind of the only time I ever really was. Right. 
<laughs> the tears, tear. the tears slowly <laughs> rolling down my cheek. <laughs> Christmas time is here. <laughs> um, but I fucking, I I got to near death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. I enjoyed the ride, but it was so bad I couldn't. Like I wasn't gonna get out of it. Right. So I loved being enabled and codependency, mm-hmm. but ultimately in life it doesn't bear fruit. It only bears suffering. Yeah. 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 I mean, the I lot. loved it though. Oh my god, when I didn't have to work, and oh, I see, mean, I, I mean, the as much as like like look, I got a lot of financial help for my family at different times in my life, but I also worked most of the time that I was in active addiction. Isn't that like the worst part though was the mi- I caused a lot of misery to them. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking about it. That part wasn't that great. No. It was really bad. And then after me and this woman broke up, she like became this really major uh she she would be the greatest dopey guest in mm-hmm. the history of dopey. She wound up becoming a <laughs> uh a headhunter like um what do you call that like somebody who places people a headhunter and, and she she wound up working at like a fortune 500 company mm-hmm. i swear to god we broke up and her life blossomed in, in six <laughs> years she retired oh i think she you bought told a house about her before. she bought a house for herself and a house for her mother and she retired within six years of breaking up with me that's crazy and the woman and the dude she left me for wound up becoming a doctor who does like I was the poison in everybody's life. <laughs> it's just it's just amazing. You like, were the you were her bottom. I was I was beyond her, re- her relationship bottom. Beyond beyond. <laughs> and, and then since obviously since not being enabled, my life has become has blossomed. Yeah, my our interdependence has been remarkable. <laughs> but I you know I don't love hard work. I'm not a fan of the grind. I mean yes and no. I know you say that about yourself, but you work harder than most people I know. Yeah, it's bananas. But it's like, I don't know. You know what I'm doing now? Hmm. From couch to 5K. Are you? Hardcore. Last night, I took the dog just at dusk, Mm -hmm. right? And we go out. There's a soccer field near Mm -hmm. our house. And me and the dog go out there. And I put on from... uh, from couch to 5K. Uh-huh. So it's like I'm in week three of uh-huh. my training where you walk for five minutes, mm-hmm. then you run for 90 seconds, mm-hmm. then you walk for two minutes, then you run for 90 yeah. seconds. And I, I'm it's like, interval training. I'm getting like. You feel like you're feeling fit. I'm, no, I, I'm, I'm eating like a fucking, like as I always do late at night, but I, I, I'm running farther than I've ever run yeah. before. And I like that. That's awesome. It's fun. It's a really weird. The last year, like I have had so many weird health issues and I've lost 26 pounds in the last year, not doing anything. But I think, I think I'm like, oh, maybe my body's like weird. I'm like reverse aging. <laughs> my metabolism is like sped up or something. It's really, really weird. But I think part of it was like getting like my iron issue addressed and when I had my thyroid taken out, like although I didn't have a thyroid issue, maybe just having this like very stable thyroid level, level from Synthroid did it because I have not changed anything about what I'm eating. Chris always told me that if I took thyroid medication, because like when, I mean, I might need thyroid <laughs> medication, <laughs> but um, he was like, you should definitely take that thyroid medication because you'll lose tons of weight. 
That was something that he always said to me. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I, ha- I have no thyroid, so I have to take the thyroid medication. Well, I think it's doing great. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel physically better. I didn't notice better. that you lost that much weight. Yeah, I've like dropped like three pant sizes. It's crazy. I mean, I think it's part of it's well distributed. I'm tall, so. It's also like probably you're you're eating differently because of the iron stuff or whatever. Maybe. I mean, I ne- I don't know. You should join me on my couch to 5K. I should. You're not going to. <laughs> I don't know. You should do it. I don't. I can't really. Well, I guess I could run for 90 seconds. I, I've told you this before. The first week, you just have to run for a minute. But I tore my Achilles tendon after I had Atticus because I did Barry's boot camp. Oh my god, I tore it. And when I went to like get checked out and everything, I didn't need surgery because it was only a partial tear. But I was told that my Achilles tendon was too short and that I shouldn't run. I should only use like an elliptical. So don't run them. Yeah. Don't run. Okay. I'm going to read. Should I read the email? Sure. Here we go. Hello, Dave. My name is Brandon. I am an addict. I am not much of a drinker. I drank very little, but I grew up stealing beer from my grandpa and drinking it. I started smoking weed at the age of 13 for fun and to be cool like my friend. But I grew to love it. I became a pothead stoner type in middle school to high school. I started to pop pills around age 15, starting with hydros and then Xanax. At the age of 18 or 19, I also was doing Molly and LSD. And when I turned 21, I started doing methamphetamine. I was never an IV user. I was afraid I would never be able to return from that. I smoked, ate, and snorted. My meth run didn't last long. I was going for about five to six months. I was facing some serious charges at the time I started, and I just wanted to leave behind any emotion and just get out of reality, really. My run ended April 1st of 2019, and I was picked up by a detective and taken to jail where I was held for the marshal to transport me to federal court. I just wanted to tell you that I started listening to the podcast from the very beginning about three weeks ago, and I binge listened to it a lot. I'm currently in the middle of episode 145 with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest calling in to get their take on Kit's death. My condolences out to you and everyone in the Dopey Nation and to his family. I felt like I had a connection to Chris the whole time I listened. I loved him deeply within my soul, and I love you too, Dave. Your podcast is amazing so far, and I can't wait to finally catch up. I'm writing you this because I wanted to reach out. I wanted to wait until I caught up but I feel like now is as good time as any. I know Chris has been gone for quite a some time, but I feel like it just happened. I literally cried. Bless you and this podcast. I know you are doing amazing work for a worthy cause. If you find time to reach back out to me, I would love to talk. I've been clean for four years going on five, but lately I've been feel like using again. But your podcast has been keeping me going. I work for a place that deals with addicts and stuff. It's a place called Safe Harbor uh, of Little Rock, previously known as Lighthouse Ministries. I would love to talk more about everything, but that's all I will say for now. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles. All right, Brandon. Check out Dopey Zoom also. Dopey Zoom is available. They do 25 meetings a week, and it's great. It's a great research. resource. Resource. <laughs> it's a great research. Research. It's I'm a doing great... some research. <laughs> Here. Dopey Zoom is available many, many times a day. It's the Zoom ID is 804-300-586. The password is toodles. Aaron, thank you for coming on. Thank you. I have to write this guy back. I didn't write him back. Yeah. He sounds like he needs a writing back. 
a hug. A reply. And a a hug. reply hug. <laughs> All right. I'm going to write back. Brandon, thank you for coming on. Was it everything you'd hoped it would be it, and less? <laughs> it was everything I hoped it would be. Sweet. Exactly what I hoped it would be. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Aaron. And stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles. So that was the show. Anybody who's still listening, send me an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Let me know you're still listening. But more importantly, I'm going to play, I don't know, one of the all-time greatest versions of Good So Bad, which was created by Michael Mart, Mike Mart. I'm saying Michael Dowd, incredible closet guitar player. No, Mike Mart and Nick Tharp, who does the um, Foul Peralta Instagram page where he does those mock bands. They did one of my... Favorite, favorite, favorite Good So Bads, uh, which has Chris in it. And um, we miss you, Mike, and thank you for everything. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. All right, I'm going to play this song, but only because uh, I think it's going to make me look a little bit I'm just going to
Where did you write? Where did you write that? I like the lyrics. I hope they can 